0: This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub.
1: And I'm running for president of BSG. There are a few reasons that we're running this campaign this year. One has to do with representation. How can we represent all voices in a conversation? I want to do this by partnering with organizations from the Boone Democrats to the Boone Republicans. I want to bring together different voices, dissenting voices, voices that may be more liberal or more conservative in order that we can reach a point of sort of the radical middle. It seemed like the NRA and gun lobbyists might win, but oh, that was good news for us. I don't know how long this Saturday in the state of Tennessee might last, but oh, we have good news, folks. We've got good news that Sunday always comes. Justin J.P. Yes. And I'm running for president of BSG. Yes.
0: Good news. Good news. Hey, good everything. Good People, there. Nubians, and other folk uh, all over the globe. Hi. we got good news for us. Dr. Mm-hmm. Carr, hello. Good morning to you. Good Love morning.
1: It. Give me that good news.
0: Yes, for <laughs> us. Um, this, this, this video is uh creating uh, all kinds of let me just say, fake outrage.
1: <laughs> is it? Is it
0: fake? I don't know. Among the, among the, um,
1: there is think, fake, for sure.
0: Fake outrage among the white people that think, um, that, that are friends with Van Jones and Candace Owen and Jason Whitlock. Ooh. I think like, yeah, those people, they, they think because they have three black friends, they're not your friends, that, um, they, they think because they're black people in their lives that make them feel comfortable. They're they're pretending um, that somehow they know us and that somehow this young man is just so outrageous. But what they don't know is like every black person that you're comfortable with has a completely different persona. Well, maybe not Candace Owens, because I think she's that mask now. She can't even get it off. She can't get it off. It's it's, 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 it's all over.
1: Bonded to her skin. (laughs) Yes. and maybe,
0: maybe maybe Van Jones too. I don't know. I haven't, you know, I, I did uh, he did um talk with a person that I know about you know how difficult it is to be married sometimes to a white person, and uh, that person they assumed that they were married to a white person because they had the similar code switching vernacular,
1: and and they were like, mm, no, I, yes, he, I, I thought he, his wife was non white, non black, but Asian. I don't remember, I, I don't remember, I haven't seen,
0: I don't care, but. Uh, so, <laughs> I really, I don't care what the man does with his life, um, but I do care that the rest of us are judged based on that lens. And it's like, why oh. can't you like Van Jones? You know, that's that—that's the thing that bothers me. And um, you know, because it's it's a um, mm, you know, I mm, I have so much to say, but I'm I'm gonna. So no, hi, no, what, what are you? No, with? no, no. Let's, let's like, have that conversation. Oh my god. Okay.
1: That's why we're here. This is a beautiful thing. What are we, 162 now?
0: Yeah. By yeah, the way,
1: yeah. uh, greetings from a number of parents. I, I was on campus yesterday. My uh, nephew is in town because it's Howard University Spring Fest. I guess the the whole entertainment complex of higher education now is spiral completely out of control. So is this um, around the
0: time that they would have Freak Nick back in the day? Is this that... Professor
1: Hunter, isn't that interesting you bring that up? We actually, this week in my class at the law school, we covered the chapter in Derrick Bell's casebook and supplemented it with updating the casebook. That's what we've been doing all semester. Um, The chapter on public spaces and accommodation. So everything, remember when, uh, the white boys at the Masters, rather than respond to the National Organization of Women and Martha Burke saying, "And no women members of Augusta National, we're going to boycott all your sponsors." That year, they just pulled all the sponsors, wrote a check to them, and broadcast the Masters with no commercial interruption on CBS. So we talked about how, you know, in the law and U.S. law, private spaces, you get to do whatever the hell you want. So the question is, when state, when is and isn't is and isn't state action? So we talked about public accommodations. Heart of, Heart of Atlanta Motel, the very famous case, Lester Maddox. This is right after the signing of the uh, Voting Rights Act. I'm sorry, Civil Rights Act of '64. Anyway, long story short, when when is a hotel a public accommodation? Typically, that's when they evoked the Interstate Commerce Clause, and now you really can't discriminate at hotels. But of course, Heart of Atlanta Motel discriminated. So that led to a whole conversation around how these corporations and companies and racists, sometimes the same thing really we're trying to regulate black bodies post 60s. And that brought up the rituals that you and I were familiar with because we lived through that period. Remember the circuit, you had Freak Nick in Atlanta, the black beach weekend, some of it was Daytona beach, somewhere uh, the Greek picnic in Philly. Uh, what was the one in Virginia? Uh, Virginia Beach, right before back to school, they used to know, have I know. Myrtle Beach, had the, the bikers, the Black Bikers Weekend in Myrtle Beach, absolutely. In fact, um, uh, Welcome to the Terradome, Chuck D references Virginia Beach. You know, speak, I speak like a beach pond in Virginia. I don't wild. He was, he was, These were the rituals where young Black people, 20 somethings mostly, convened. And the hotels were notorious for, to get on this floor, you need a wristband. You can't come in the lobby. We're going to book y'all, get there, cancel, and then go up on the rate. And so what fascinated me was this group of 20-something law school students, most of them third-year law school students, virtually none of them had heard of any of those rituals. The only joke had been circulating was they were worried they said our parents are worried because this freak Nick <laughs> is not freak we heard of freak Nick but we don't know and i I went through all that to say that you wow. know regulating our bodies is a thing that they did and they've now kind of shut that down when when when, when will Smith <laughs> summertime you know riffing off of uh um summer madness and cooling the game Fairmont Park was where the Greek picnic was. All the black Greek letter organization members would come to Philly in the summertime had a Greek Adam's Mark. You know, we put Adam's Mark out of business. That lawsuit <laughs> collapsed Adams because they were race. I mean, so so it's interesting you bring that up. You bring that freak mm-hmm. documentary up because I hope they cover that in there. I don't know. while we're talking about, you know, who it did well, didn't caught on tape, you know.
0: Well, uh, that would that would mean whoever produced the documentary would have some depth. And I only bring up, again, Van Jones. Whenever I name check people, it's a proxy for something greater. I'm not individually insulting a person, but a person as a proxy for uh, either white comfort in in high places and, uh, and then the responsibility once you get there, right? And some people sneak up in to these places, but you have a responsibility and it's not just about your personal, um, you know, finances or position in life, Clarence Thomas. It's it's about what you can do. Like to be black anywhere is to to carry first your ancestors, but also the burden of making sure you chip away at these uh, constructs of oppression. Uh, and I just believe that that's to eat it. You, you get in and more importantly, you know, I, I started off with the coat, what they call it, coat switching, but I think it's just, you know, he was running for office. So you're going to put on a certain kind of vernacular. We've seen Barack Obama go from, you know, church pastor to, you know, um, red states and blue states. It's the United States. We, we've seen this before. So I, so the fact that they're using this now to discredit, you know, activity and actions by, by young people in Tennessee um, is interesting. And I don't know, you know, where we are right now, but it's clear to me Mm -hmm. to, you know, the foxes of the world and, and Jason Whitley, everybody's like having these conversations around people being phony. And it's like, really, y'all, y'all, really, really? I, I mean, how'd you get into ESPN? How'd you get into CNN? How did you get, you know, like, really, how did I get into the New York Daily News? I wore stockings I had on a suit. I brought a briefcase and I pinched my side it away. Did you
1: change your, did you change your? Oh name? yeah, I did. Cause
0: I'm like, Yo, I'm coming in. I'm going to be on this. No, I'm, yeah, I'm so very. But that's, not, but that's not how you talk now. No, well, I've stopped code switching um, when I didn't have to. Um, but in my 20s, I absolutely I had perm. I had, you know, all of the I mean,
1: things. I, I get the physical appearance, but the I, speech. You know,
0: that's the speech, yes, Dr. Carr. Was know. it a complete? Yes, it was a complete.
1: Uh, was though. it? I mean, again, I mean, I think about our though, our, our, our family who so- are For- linguists. The sociolinguists. I mean, sociolinguistics. In fact, uh, Lisa Green, I won't pull. Oh, now, here's easy. Here's- Come on through, Lisa Green. No, Lisa Green is a. I, I like. I, I love his sister's work. I think she's at U Texas Austin. I think she was at Cornell when she wrote her, her grammar African American English. I've referred to it before. When she talks about um, the parts of speech, um, there is, of course, there's the sociolinguists which deal with the social acts of speech, speech events and acts. So there's certain idioms we wouldn't use. You're not gonna show up at the Daily News newsroom, start talking about oh somebody need to get in that kitchen. I mean. And they, they may, they will completely misinterpret that. <laughs> so, so, I mean,
0: I don't know and anyone, you know, in the chat, when you show up to major corporations, there's not even a conversation. It's not a conversation. My dad and mom sat me down, but there's an understanding that to get a job in white facing spaces, uh, white people need to feel okay with you, which means, you know, and it wasn't even like a thought. It's like, you look around, this is how you present. Right. You go to college. Mm-hmm. Is how you present, right? So, mm-hmm. so you you come in. You know your your diction, your grammar is impeccable, but also the tone. You know, like I'm, I naturally talk loud. You know, naturally. Um, sometimes, you know, mostly I'm quiet when I'm by myself. I'm not a pretty uh, exactly. a rowdy person because I'm reading exactly. and thinking a lot but you know my my the natural way that I speak around people that I'm comfortable with I would never speak that way in front of folks that I'm not comfortable with and that's the other thing I'm not comfortable enough with you for you to really see my true self right you don't need to see me I just need to get this job and do the work like we don't we're not buddies and friends right so so but the weird thing is I feel like I, I noticed this there were people who thought that that version of me what was me and so and that you know and, and you know I got invited to the I was the only black person at a lot of dinner parties uh back in the day I was the only black person I remember going to this um cookout what I thought was a cookout it was catered at this you know one of my colleagues very wealthy uh he was a columnist in uh, uh Manhattan I mean it was a huge yard and there were people with trays and waiters and stuff I, at a cookout I was like this never been to a cookout where they're serving Wagyu steak and I mean, it, was, it was it was amazing but I was like one of two black people there you know I was the the person that got invited and then I realized
1: um the, the, the cookout the white cookout
0: the white cookout um but I was never comfortable there do you know and it, and I always side-eyed people who are extremely comfortable in those places uh because you were there more to show the that I'm not racist you know like i understood i'm at this dinner table you might like me what you think is me but i know i'm not i'm here to fill out the room uh to to, you know it's like a collection a menagerie of
1: Mm -hmm. so how
0: did you you do
1: uh
0: i did i you know i performed well dr carl was it a performance yes
1: it was (laughs) absolutely but was it a complete transformation when i think of code switching i think of like assuming a, a completely separate persona you never you are never completely not you
0: no no but even when i look at justin pearson i don't see a complete transformation i you know it's an average yeah, ad-
1: that, that, that that little campaign at Bowdoin, he reminded me of another justin my friend justin fairfax who actually i mean i looked at him when i saw this no 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 i mean but but here's, here's the thing Justin Fairfax a Virginian with a slightly what we might consider regional southern accent, Appalachian South, really mid-Atlantic South accent, talks like that. So when he was at Duke, Justin wasn't, you know, Justin Pearson, listening to him, I think that was more on a continuum. It was farther from his natural speech act as such.
0: So so let me, me, as I'm watching, yes, he was running for office. So you, you are.
1: And he was very young, as you say.
0: Right. I was going to say, but there's also, (laughs) there's training in how to have an affectation to gather, to, to collect masses. There's whole, you know, courses you can take in public speaking. Right. So, you know, um. And somebody that might have wanted to do public speaking at one point and then I was like I I just the, the I don't I don't have the discipline to actually you know do I just want to talk I just want to you talk like
1: the it. address form because yes yes I don't I don't want that to that do those,
0: those yeah you know what I do every day is me right sure, so it is right. actually me when people see me in the streets no won't question. you won't no see see it no so question. I, I take off that <laughs> I'm never putting it back on but, you know, there was a period in my career where I was like, yeah, I think I want to do public speaking because they make a lot of money. You know, you can make good money public speaking. And there's there's ways that you do it. You know, I know Cory Booker went to, you know, what's the guy, the giant man. Uh, he went to Germany to take his class and how to um, now I can't remember his name. Big, giant face. He had, you know, he walked on glass and he, he has oh. these programs.
1: Uh, oh, Anthony, yeah. oh, you're talking about right? Robbins, Anthony Robbins. That,
0: yeah, that guy. Right. And I remember He's having this conversation. Well he's six like six eight. Well, yeah, I remember yeah, I remember having this conversation with Cory Booker, but but you know, there's training for that, right? And how to uh, impact people's emotions, how to use your words to you know, like there's whole books on how I'm to gonna, manipulate them
1: in the left eye, how to bring them into the space, yeah, all that right? politics of manipulation. I mean influence.
0: Influence and manipulation. So <laughs> if you study, if you study and you're smart you know you you can you can do that and then i i looked at Justin Pearson is figuring this out right where he he's like i you know maybe he sat in the lab and was like made himself you know but isn't that what people do when you know when they're figuring it out i i'm not judging him at no, all I'm, you know
1: i'm i'm absolutely not judging him and i'm absolutely judging him okay all right yeah I, mean, I think i think we all do that i mean i'm not i'm not condemning him i'm not creating some kind of ordinal classification like jay brusch talks about and ranking him but i'm assessing his speech act because that's what we do we listen if we're listening okay so listening you know when
0: when this video went viral of him of the before and after of him young young 20s now late 20s um and and i also you know he's got the martin luther king cadence his daddy is a preacher and i was reminding people martin luther king jr didn't talk like that when he wasn't here
1: yeah, that's not the Martin Luther King case.
0: He might drop an N word. You know, he would he would be real regular. Okay, so like, was he code switching?
1: Well, I mean, part of it too is I think, I think what you you've established some very important things we should we should walk through. One is, as we say, our constant theme is there's no we. So there are regional variations. There are like when Lisa Green writes about sociolinguistics, there's social acts of speech. There's idiom. There's words we use, don't use. Um, There's phonology, the the literal sound. So when Barack Obama drops a consonant or Michelle Obama drops a consonant at the end, so there's no, you know. So, folks, we're not going. Folks, we're going to. hmm, Is that the south side of Chicago? And Barack, you're from the South. Well, you're not from the South. Well, so you're from Hawaii. No, you're from Kansas. You? We know what are the regional variations when it comes to phonology? And how are you acquiring speech acts to talk to certain people? So it isn't just the words you're saying or the combination of it's not the syntax, for example, your use of grammar. So, you know, all right, y'all. You know, we got to get out here and be about this voting. Be about this voting. Be about. This voting—it's a combination of syntax. You're using a verbal marker there, and it's uh, a speech act that has a certain phrase. So you're using a kind of uh, idiom, you okay. know. And so, but but I'm saying all that to say that when I hear Justin Pearson in in Bowdoin, in Maine, and you know, shout out to Tucker Carlson, who I absolutely believe speaks that way because his voice hasn't changed. And so I understand he's got some you know, physiological challenges, but that having been said, I think that is his authentic speech. Perhaps it's not, I've never seen him in private spaces, but when he says that, you know, that's the only way you get into Bowdoin, of course, let me just add very in passing that uh, because you know nothing about African people. Uh, the first graduate of Bowdoin of African descent was John Brown, West Russburn, as in freedom's journal. <laughs> so, you know, you're a clown, but we are just gonna put you in the social structure category, which is why we had a framework. But when I hear Justin Pearson, yeah, uh, in, in that in that commercial with the gestures, which itself is a form of nonverbal speech, obviously he's trying to you know get this. You know, I, I'm trying to be uh, conciliatory in a way. I'm trying to build a community. You know, he starts, and that's accompanied with another phrase that he's testing out as a young man. This question of radical center. Okay, oh, that's fine. You're running for office, I, yeah, I mean, I know what that is. Now, growing up in Memphis. With a father who is a minister and a pastor. Um, by the way, got a master's of divinity at Howard. The Spent time in DC. Yeah, right? So 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 you know, when when I see you know him and I think about Jason, uh Peterson, his father, or his mother, Kimberly Owens Peterson, who when you hear her, oh, the South, that that's not that's not the Appalachian south of a uh, Justin Fairfax. That's not even the mid-south of a Greg Carr who is closer to a Justin Fairfax in terms of region. That's Mississippi coming out of his mama's mouth. That's that's Memphis. You understand? You, you can spit across the Mississippi River and hit Mississippi from Memphis. So when you hear her with that kind of sing-songy and saying, my son, my son, that's phonology. Son, not son, not son, son. <laughs> so- I'm saying if you grew up deeply immersed as he did in that family, then you've got to work overtime to, to, to switch in that sense. And I'm not saying that he, he nobody can complete. Um, this. So. And I, I'm not saying I'm not judging it at all. No, no, I'm no, I, for him. As you're talking, I'm, I'm, you know,
0: I bump into a lot of people
1: mm-hmm. and,
0: you know, I'm always, you know, I, I know folk from New York that don't sound like they're from New York. I, I know actually one of my producers is from the Bronx and, when they were applying for another job on the phone, someone said, are you from the Midwest? You know, and they're black. And I remember them having this conversation with me about like the Midwest, you know, and then they saw him and it was like, oh, you're black. I, you know, you're not hired anymore. But you, 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 think about, you think about language and gestures and how Africans had to navigate white people and white people again it's not people, it's the power structure of whiteness, which is a made-up construct.
1: But our entire existence they don't is choose to avail themselves of it.
2: Right. That's, so that's anybody,
1: point. if you don't want to be white, then you need to stop acting white. Stop anyway. acting white. <laughs> it's, it's a construct. It's a construct and there are black people that do it, right? well try to do it but we can never do it as you just said when they saw you okay that that's where whiteness stops i see you now uh-huh. right
0: right yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't no, try. no question you know so we've had to navigate these these places uh these spaces of white power in order to survive to thrive to, to you know excel so so we inherently know how to do most of us we're in an era now that is baffling to me because their folk mm-hmm. That absolutely aren't and don't even know about a code switch. And somehow, and then I think there's something inherently racist about that too, because you're propelling these people. How do you get to sit down and talk to the president? And, and you know, the president, you know, like talking like that, and it's the way you
1: assuming be Cardi B.
0: Maybe. So I'm just.
1: <laughs> no, because you assume the speech act. I can hear the tone. The, the, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's so very important. President Biden, I mean, I'm like. Women, exactly. women, are exactly. you judging? I'm not are gonna do it, think, but I'm just like I think you judge it. You judge it. Yeah, I am yeah. judging. I'm yeah. absolutely yeah. judging
0: because I'm trying to understand like what what the hell are we supposed to do now? <laughs> so, like, so that's acceptable. So we can just so there's well, you're, no I mean, so what are you doing? You're you're saying, here's how I'm appealing to black people. Let me bring somebody that probably hasn't voted, doesn't know any of the issues, doesn't read a lot of books, that political science. Uh, can't really challenge the president, the, the person that wants our vote, but we know that maybe that's how we're gonna get more Black people to show up to vote. Like I just feel like there's just no one knows anything right now, and
1: so I'm grateful. You for, right vote for Joe Biden, you ain't Black. Oh my God. No, but, 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 no, I'm just saying when Biden goes to talk to uh, Charlemagne, Martin Lamar, Charlemagne, Leonard, Charlemagne. Yes. Then he borrowed an idiom that is associated with blackness however you see the racialization there you ain't black you say see you're trying to act black hold on because if you listen to a guy who's born in hope arkansas he gonna say ain't and it's regional because when bill clinton says it it's absolutely authentic now when joe biden who has just come back from his homeland, Ireland, and he was raised in Pennsylvania, says ain't. No, He he's borrowing that, and that's a form of nominal code switching. But then Black people immediately respond with, you're trying to appeal to the Black community. The answer to that is absolutely. Yeah. And, the, and the shared misassumption is that the use of ain't is a completely racialized use and it's not so when cardi b sits and talks to him with her in new york and here's the thing there is no new york accent that's really where i was going with this justin pearson doesn't sound like martin luther king we group him with martin luther king because he's a minister but if you listen to martin luther king who did very little code switching even when you see him in strategy sessions and he's sitting there next to stotley carmichael he's sitting there Ra- now ralph well uh, i think we're gonna need to reconsider this thing that's pretty much it gets louder it's a little bit more emphasis in his public speech but but uh, and this again i'm just putting this variation also when you make the point that a person from the bronx and the way you said the bronx with the kind of elongated oval and the kind of little bit of a rump the bronx you know that is not you can train yourself right and and i guess that's a function of education i'm asking a a larger question
0: yes should we train ourselves, right? So I'm, 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 I'm right now in this place where I, when I'm in the classroom, I, I demand my students show up as their full selves because I want to see who they are. So that They can lean into their culture, their background, the things that make them. But also I want them to start to really think about who are you? in this space what is it that you want what do you like what don't you like you yeah, don't want people to wait until they're 50 and 70 not my students to figure this out but also is that, is that
1: how you do it is that how you introduce it in in, in what is a very polyglot student body at hunter working yeah, class, sure people. You, you, out, you introduce it that way you yeah, said I want to, you all to I want wait to, yeah because your
0: journalism it demands you to be you because of the way that you see the world, There's stories that are out there that can only be told through your lens, but that also requires you to know what your lens is. So if your lens is always bending to the will of the power structure, then you're always going to feed the power structure, not feed the people that need the stories that are coming out of your community. But that means you have to be in community and you have to know yourself and what it is that drives that that person so that's you know so we we, we spend a g- great deal of the semester talking about that but as i'm you know sitting in this space with you and on the radio every day i'm i'm reminded that every time we fold ourselves into smaller versions of ourselves for the comfort of other people they never get to know us so can we blame them when you know i show up as my full self. And then they're like, oh, oh, oh my God, she, she's so scary. I don't know what to do. And I can't, and I can't express it. So let me just, okay, let's try to get rid of her. You know, as a, po- why can't you act like Van Jones? You know, cause he, he really makes me comfortable, but you don't, but if we all in our spaces acted the way we act, because we're not monolithic, right. We're not Cardi B or Van Jones, right? We are right.
1: And, and somebody in the chat said we should use Cardi B's government name. But I correct me if I'm wrong, Cardi B is a kind of a gloss of her awesome. name, right? So if we said Larry to God, I think that would be more, but the Charlemagne thing. is not a shortening right. of Larry. To, so anyway, that's Lawrence, I think is the or, or anyway, the either Lord, way. But yeah, okay. But it,
0: at the end of the day, the, the question is, you know, if we if we all would be ourselves. <laughs> Then then, mm. then, 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 folk would get comfortable with the different variations of us, and then it wouldn't be such a shock to their system when we showed up, right? So I don't know, you know, where we are right now, because you got to get there first, right? So I'm, I feel like I'm, you know, where I'm, where I need to be. So the places that I am, whether it's the classroom or on the radio or whatever, I'm pretty much in in charge of my situation. So I don't really, yeah, so I have to answer the people, but not in the same way, you know, not in the same way as I did in my twenties, where it's like, am I gonna get a promotion? Am I gonna, you know, I promote myself. Do you know what I'm saying? Or I don't, or I don't pay myself or whatever. You know, like I have these choices that I can make now in my, you know, position in my in my life. But in my twenties, man, I, I, wanted, I wanted a lot of things that were me-centric. Not us centric, I'm completely us centric now. And my, the me centric me was like, okay, how to, okay, this is what you gotta do to get, okay. Okay, let me, um, gonna show up. I have to show up to all of the events, you know? Uh, oh, there's a dinner that I have? Okay, I have to be at the dinner? That means I have to get my hair done, and get my you know, I don't. I don't even like to be around people, but okay. Have, you know, you have to laugh at things that are funny and these people are so corny.
1: Oh my God, tell me more
0: about your children. And you, you have to, you know. You have to do all
1: of that, right? On <laughs> yeah. Look, look, that's not something you were interested in, the children of these
0: well, Perry, I didn't want to be there because I'm, you know, I'd rather be there's, home.
1: There's the know, larger, so, there's, but there.
0: but if I'm not there, then I'm not a team player. or I'm not, you know, you know, all of the things as opposed to like, I'm doing a job. Can I just do my damn job? Why well, I got to be socializing with you. If I don't go out to drinks with you, then I'm not, I'm not valuable. So like you, you force yourself into these places where you're going out drinking or you're,
1: What's you know, the the team thing? building. Why do hmm? you, have, why do you have to do it?
0: Well, you know, you, you know why, because if you don't, then you're not part of the, the crew. And so when they look to promote or they look for opportunities, they're going to give it to the person that they're familiar with. And we're seeing it. We see it play out. You think, think people get to these positions because they're good? No. <laughs> Come on, y'all. You no, know, no. the best people are probably like, damn, how did this person get, you know, everyone listening right now, there's somebody in your job that you're like, how in the hell did they get this position?
1: Somebody. Oh, that would. I'd be great if it was just one.
0: So you know,
1: <laughs> right? think so. So what do you? I mean, how do you? Um, so so is this a? You say is this a matter of navigating? I mean, talking again for you. Yes, you paid your dues. You came through it, and now you are as an educator sitting at the center with these young people who are coming into a profession. That is similar and at the same time very different than when you came in. Obviously, with all the disruptions that technology has fomented. So now you are, you are encouraging them to be show up as their full selves. Albeit, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that some of them may want to start with print, start with words, but they also want to communicate in different forms. Maybe speech acts. Maybe show up on television or broadcast. So, so. Listen. What you yeah
0: so, so uh Domati Pongo, who's who's family, mm-hmm. um he's on MTV and we we he's been to my class to talk several times. He went from shortcut hairs from Chicago, you know, he's not uh Ghanaian, Ghanaian, uh Domati, um, to now he has locks. And now he has locks and he doesn't code switch as much, right? Mm-hmm. And so we talked about that because he started his career in radio but now MTV and he's got a TV show now with art kind of like allows for, you think about sway, it allows for there to be this normalization of people just
1: showing up regularly. Is it normalization or is it spectacle?
0: Mm, I mean, like what
1: I'm saying is that I now it is, uh, hence you have uh, a Charlemagne. In other words, we have an image now of And by we, I mean the social structure. Oh, right. So you can't, I don't know, I'm asking, because no, you know, sure. got to be the you know? I think you're asking the question
0: we all should, probably contemplate because we're all being manipulated on some level and there you, yes if this is if this now is the, what success looks like Ooh, come on now if if being like if studying cuz Z-Way just lost her you know uh her talk show right Z-Way, really smart absolutely to, you know, to, you know absolutely. she's good absolutely but you know when you have donkey of the day and you know somebody <laughs> doing all is that the model you know is that oh oh, that's the model so let's be like that and we are creatures and people in general not just black people but i feel like we watch and we learn and we adapt right so i am asking a fundamental question where are we right now right uh so Mm -hmm. justin pearson where we are right now the the afro the dashiki the you know you you came to a place where you're like i'm never wearing a necktie maybe he came to a place where he's never wearing a necktie and now this is what he did have
1: on a necktie that he did have on. But anyway, I'm, well, I'm know, I, I I wore neckties longer than he'd been alive. Was he 29? Yes. Yeah. I, I wore neckties and there was, there was a little bit of a stretch where I wore bow ties. I wouldn't wear a necktie when I was in law school. And then when I graduated from law school, uh, I, I wore African clothes. I didn't even wear the regalia for graduation. And when I went to graduate school, I would, when I, I would wear a suit from time to time when I moderated a debate with John Henry Clark and, and Cornel West back in the day That's like 90 whatever it was 93 94, at a bow tie like almost like the nation Kente bow tie and shortly thereafter I stopped wearing suits and I and if you I, I won't wear a tie again unless it's a certain ritual that just absolutely requires it and I'm making a, a statement what happened? what happened well um I think a great deal of it not just for me but for all of us as you said we're navigating the social structure we find ourselves in again This, this this African states framework that we developed is very important because we have to have a place to stand. If we don't have a place to stand, then we can't even answer the question you're asking, where are we well we got to come up with the we?" what happened was like I said I'm, I'm born in middle Tennessee. It's crazy how many of these things run through Nashville. They done moved Candace Owens to Nashville. Van Jones went to school at Vanderbilt in Nashville. I've been knowing Van since he was an undergrad. He and my brother started a newspaper together in Nashville. Um, uh, So, but my parents, my father's from East Tennessee, not too far from where this Johnson uh, representative is from, Gloria Johnson, but my mother's from Alabama. Deep South Africans coming up through Jim Crow could not wash the vowels and the lyricism of their language out, which also has its regional variations. But the socialization, particularly in segregated schools was to undertake speech acts that were precise. That's why I say, when you hear Martin Luther King, yes, you you can tell he's from the South, but it's not an exaggerated South. When you hear my mother, my mother's a Southerner from Alabama, but it was a very precise speech. And then they passed on to their children this commitment to speech acts that were very precise now here's where it gets interesting as well the speech acts of the children and now i'm thinking about now the 1950s 60s 70s those speech acts were also shaped by access to whiteness with the same determination to pursue education so when you hear someone born and raised two people born and raised in birmingham not too far from where my mom is from but you hear them and they talk both uh, like this. You would not know uh, that uh, Angela Yvonne Davis uh, is from uh, Birmingham, uh, because. But if you if you're familiar with the South, you can hear the South in her speech, even as you assume, "Oh, she faking." Nobody from Birmingham talk like that. No. But if you listen to those elders who trained her, who who sent her to those schools, who sent her over eventually to Herbert Marcuse, uh, and them, uh, they are also going to have that sing songy. Voice, sweetheart, but perhaps one of those things, like the "us" in her speech, is just something that is hers. Mm. Like the sing-song, the phonology is southern, but the pronunciation is also socialization. That's how you can come from the Bronx with it. Where'd you go to school? Who are your parents? You see this with immigrants. All right. who, can, who can switch immediately? You like what the hell? What just happened? No, my parents told me go to school, learn what these people have, and be flawless. Right. <laughs> yes. So, so did we,
0: should we? Should we not? As you're talking, I'm thinking Tina Turner. Not no. Oh, no question. I, I'm thinking Eartha Kitt. North Eartha South Carolina for sure. You know, there's, there's my father. Um, I remember he he shared the story of having to go to speech therapy because I said, Tina Turner
1: here. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Really?
0: Yeah, because um, you know his mother's from South Carolina. Yeah, and she she you know had you know eight kids. First one at age twelve, right? So mm-hmm. she didn't go to school a lot, and she would say things like vegetables and stuff. So my father, you know, was very smart and the teachers like, "What's this word?" And he's like, "Oh, me, 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 vegetables." Yes, sir. They, Jewish teachers like, "Uh, no, you're going to speech therapy." So he was so meticulous with his T's and finishing those sentences, the G's, you heard every constant, the man was the most articulate. And he always wore a suit and tie until he until he retired, like that he called that his bulletproof vest. Early on, it was the hat, impeccable, because he recognized the representation as a dark-skinned black man in America. He had to have everything tightened up. Now, mm-hmm. I did not adopt many of his, his meticulous habits. Um, and it was rebellion. I will be honest with you, right? So for me, it was like, mm, I ain't trying to do all of that. So let me let me figure out how to navigate both of these. Nor worlds. do
1: I have to do all that.
0: Well, I didn't know whether I had to or not, to be honest oh, with you. Oh, really? Because I, I grew up in all black neighborhood with, you know, like, so excellence. Was, like, I didn't, I didn't run into whiteness really until I got to college. Because even in my high school, which was 50-50, you know, it was black dominant, you know, as far as if I was in the class, it was black dominant, right? So our valedictorian was black, you well, know. That,
1: so. That's a socialization of sorts. In other words, I'm not going to conform to somebody who I know nothing about and who I've not had to rely on for my success. So, right. so in other words, when you say, I'm not going to do all that, it's because you can make that choice within that governance framework. That's very, that's very interesting.
0: And I didn't understand the, the, um, you know the judgment until i got to college i remember first week on campus on white kid was like oh that's why you're in that program and i was like what program is he talking about because I, I wasn't and not that eof eof is amazing yes but i wasn't i was like oh what oh you're trying to say something so i was like oh you're trying to say something i was like no <laughs> you know and then i commenced to being really radical because i'm like anytime i saw it you're gonna have a problem so i was in the dean's office a lot because uh, <laughs> I was also in the dean's office. I just told this story to my class. Uh the dean, one time she brought me in because you know I was constantly uh having uh, conflict on the campus and not going to class and stuff. And I said, Listen, Dean Newman. <laughs> I said, My father pays, I know how much my father pays. Ooh-wee. I was like, So you you telling me you're gonna kick me out and forego that money? So Ooh. I that, said, I said that. I was like, So you you just you know. And she, she, I never got called back in after that, but I saw her squirm and I was like, oh, okay, I understand this.
1: Interesting
0: money and power. I was like, okay, I didn't know it was a hunch, but I asked the question, I was like, you kicking me out. Um, you said this money, this cash that comes because it was cash, right? My father owned the grocery store.
1: I know that's right.
0: You, you, you just gonna be like, okay, I just, I just want to know.
1: Let me know now.
0: Yeah, this Negro. She was like, okay, I can't bring her back in and threaten her with this excel because she figured this out already. She figured well, out the game. I figured out the game,
1: which which is another deep part of this. As you're learning what experience, like, like I, I mean, I don't, I assume at some point you're gonna have a conversation with Justin Pearson, you know. I,
0: don't know, I mean, I invited them even before this thing blew up, well, and, and, Gloria, and Gloria Johnson was scheduled, and then uh, Vice President Kamala Harris called her and she was like. So I, so at this point, I almost don't want, I want to talk to them maybe next year. Do you know what I'm saying? Well,
1: well, Mm -hmm. how do you, let me ask you this then, that, that leads to another question in my mind, but before I ask that question, I want to, um, to ask you, you know, or, or, or point out what, you, you know, again, just a kind of. Cosign what you saying? Cosine is the wrong word. Again, the speech acts. The more words you have in my hip hop class, Thursday, some some uh, some uh, alum came to sit in, and one of them is uh, is a rapper. And so we were talking about vocabulary with these young people, and then they got into a, a an impromptu battle on improvisation. And the old dude he was spitting, and then the young people they spit. One young sister from Chicago, uh, my man Josh, uh, spit. He's he's a, he's a recorded album because you know now they upload everything and you could see in the differences in how they were improvising how they were you know rapping spitting as they might call it the use of words very much shaped by the words they knew and so what the, the, the older brother was like see the more words you know the more words you can combine and it's true so when you were talking you know I, you know it's interesting to me to hear you talk about these experiences because when we present, we also have experiences to draw from, and that's why I ask, you know, when if when, whenever you talk to to this young brother, I've never met him. I mean, I you never talked to him. We don't know anything about him. The only thing we have is how he presents in public. But the question that that, that came to mind is: you were talking, you know, how do you how do you enter a space when a, the social structure has decided because of how Blackness is curated externally that you're the guy. Because, see, when you said a year from now, I'm not assuming we will know much, if anything, about Justin Jones and Justin Pearson a year from now. No, we're
0: gonna we, go, no we will. Justin Pearson's not going anywhere for a minute.
1: No, no, no. But but I'm saying he, he may not be going anywhere for a minute, but it, take Ben Crump, for example. I think Ben Crump is an excellent example. Ben Crump shows up in the world as far as I can tell how Ben Crump is. I agree. Oh, he come on your hey, show. On. Hold yourself. on,
0: hold on, hold on, Dr. Carr. I'm i to make a confession. That bothers me.
1: Okay, are you judging? Now I'm just playing. No, what what, 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 what is it that, it that bothers
0: I'm you, Dr. right now? And I'm, I, I'm like...
1: What, what, what bothers you, Dr., what bothers you, Professor Honey?
0: Like, really? Like you, you well, know well, not, really, like, really. I know I'm 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 working through it, but I'm like, this the best we, look, this is the best we can do, <laughs> really. But see, but this is one so i I've assigned, I'm I'm going to be honest, you yeah. know, as much as I don't code switch, mm-hmm. I assign a certain intellect to how people present.
1: Teach to, okay? to it, so, alone.
0: I know. I know I'm not. Michael Joseph Jackson would say, We're not not alone. I know that I'm not alone. I know this, right? So when I hear versus a Johnny Cochran, Mm -hmm. you know. I'm like, damn.
1: Who himself was assigned a caricature by the social structure who tried to lump him with the son of Greenville, South Carolina, by way of Chicago, Jesse Jackson. Y'all assume everybody rhyming. But see, we in the governance would make the distinction. But when you see, uh, what's the brother, when you see Gregory Morris caricatured in that social structure vehicle, Seinfeld, clowning Johnny Cochran, th- th- we know, no, there are people who talk like that. And y'all mad because... The, the, the capacity to, to kind of couple it like that, if it doesn't fit, you must quit Y'all mad, but he got to those jurors. That's a trained lawyer who knows that as Alt-Maddox well, used no, to always wait, who say- knows that the jury's full of black women? No question. On, this is Come on now, Professor Hunter. all right. uh, maddox used to always say, he said, I know y'all think, because I'm from, jo-. see Alt-Maddox, who is in Brooklyn right now, he and his wife, Leona, Alt-Maddox from Georgia. And when you hear Alton Maddox, you're gonna hear that flat voice Georgia. But as Alton would always say, these white people, but these (laughs) these white people don't understand. You put 12 in the box. If you put 12 in the box, I'm gonna get you off. And one of the reasons they try to to disbar Alton Maddox is because, like Johnny Cochran. I know how to talk to a jury and I know who's sitting in the box. I knew from voir dire, I made my peremptory strikes. I shaped that jury and I'm not talking to 12 people. I'm talking to three because see, I had to get you all, all I, Cochran knew that now Ben Crump, Ben Crump, personal injury lawyer, Bill Crump, when right. Ben Crump is, that's that Florida Negro. Yeah, so no, when we come it, on your it, show, Karen Hunter, and he's saying, Karen Hunter, that you uh, need to understand, Karen Hunter, that we are out here with the parents of Trayvon Martin, Karen Hunter, and we are out here with the mothers of, uh, 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 uh Karen Hunter. You and you like Jesus, yeah. But 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 understand, white people, the Tucker Carlson's of the world, the racists of the world, they're saying. Ben Crump, that's your lawyer. And then when Alton, uh, when, uh, when 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 uh, 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 Al Shopton shows up, Shopton Shopton <laughs> says that this is our attorney, Black America's Attorney General. And I'm sitting there like, the hell it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying, but that's not a condemnation of Ben Crump in my mind because everything I know about Ben Crump, nice man, nice ahead man, ahead. sincere as hell put into a circumstance where he said, how can I help my people? One of the first calls he made when when he took on the Trayvon Martin case was the Howard Law School, his friend, then the dean from Baltimore, who, which you would never know unless you listen very closely, and that would be Kurt Schmoke, who was the dean of Howard Law School at the time. There's a circle, and Schmoke was like, what do you need, Ben? And I'm saying, but Ben Crump is not a creation of the governance formation. No, he's
0: not. Ben and, and Crump
1: is curated by the social structure, and yeah. he's trying to ride both. So this is an interesting conversation we had. Yeah. Wow. And, and I thank you,
0: because I spent my entire career in the social structure, which is interesting. But so all I, of us have lived I, in it.
1: Yes. But you worked I, in it. You've seen been, it. Yes. Been. yes. Been. yes. So on on now.
0: Conquering oh. these motherfuckers. You know, like for me, it's like uh, the, the challenge of being in this space. And reverse spinning on them. Yes, it's like so. I'm in the lab. Like, okay, bip 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 bip. Okay, I know you. All right, I'm gonna give you a little bit of this because you, you know, because as long as you dismiss me, I, I have an advantage. As long as you judge what you think I am, haha. <laughs> thank you, thank you for not, you know, like all. Oh, and then, then, then they realize, oh wait, what the hell? And yeah. it's almost too late.
2: Yes, almost.
0: You know, because they can always, yeah. they could always go bankrupt you know, yes. they're willing to do that. But at the end of the day, I'm gonna make it really uncomfortable. And 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 really what I'm doing is just trying to spread the the landscape a little or a lot. Actually, I'm not gonna lie. I'm trying to break the whole damn thing open because I feel like everybody benefits when it's that way. And you just don't know it because nobody's ever, most of us get there and we get comfortable yes, because we'll be the pick me Negro and we'll yes. get all of the benefits and yes. it's just about us. But if you get in there and you, you come from the inside, breaking that thing up, you know, like Tetris, bam, 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 bam brick, 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 yes. then, then there's a space that is truly diverse and it's not just black and white. It's like all of the people get to have voice and say, and your business is so much better. Oh, that's interesting. The business. And I'm going to tell you, how, my. How, my do you break it
1: up? how do you break it? Oh, go you about oh, to my, go. No, go.
0: my editor at, at the Daily News understood this because when, when he invited me to be on the editorial board, I was like, you already got a black person. Like I said that to him, he was like, "Mm, yeah, you cover sports, business, you you write music. I need someone that's going to challenge us on this board. He understood because he wanted to win a Pulitzer. He said that first, first, he just got hired. I want to win a Pulitzer. He understood in order to win a Pulitzer, we're going to need to be challenged. And I'm, uh, yes, we have a black person, but I don't, I'm i not seeing color. I'm seeing the broadness of your experiences, and you're going to come here and you're not going to be quiet. So he required me to come and argue with these folk every 11 o'clock every morning about the different topics. And it made us great. We won a pulp, a pollster. We were runners up one year. I was only on the board for four years. And I'm not saying I'm responsible, but I'm saying that those, no, those you only get great bumping up against people. You only get great. You cannot be great just in your silo. If, and this is the problem with America.
1: It's you that's bumping up. But it was you that was bumping up. So in other words, like even when um we were talking about Rob Bunch last week, uh, when they were promoting Bunch at the UN, and some of the white folk at the State Department was like, I don't know, Bunch is a Negro. And Cordell Hull was like, no known champion of the Negro. Cordell Hull was like, I don't care if he's green or blue, he's the best guy for the job. Conversely, um, you have folk who will stop being themselves, and so they're no, they're no good. I mean, isn't that the diversity, equity and inclusion argument you to show up as your full self, if you show up as your full self, because in, in fact, it's so interesting uh, I remember um, about maybe 10, 10 years ago, Dean Schmoke was, and I were on a panel talking about the death penalty at, at the law school and 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 I made the point that death penalty uh, you know during the penalty phase of, of a death penalty trial Diversity in the jury box often leads to fewer decisions by juries to give the death penalty. And he said, Absolutely, because you know, he was the youngest state's attorney in the history of Maryland before he became a mayor in Baltimore. And he said, When you diversify the jury box, you are now bringing different perspectives in. It's a very important point. But at the same time, somebody said this in, in the Nubia chat a second ago he said, You know, that southern draw language kind of triggers folk. Well, Yes, but Ben Crump, believe it or not, when we hear Ben Crump, we hear someone who would be lumped in terms of Southern speech, even though coming from the East Coast, Southeast, with another person, say, for example, a Texan, like Jim Nabritt. James Nabritt, who at one time was president of Howard University, dean of the law school, he was one of the lawyers who argued Brown versus Board of Education. And when you heard Jim Nabritt talk, it was a D, Texas, eh, eh, eh. This is very different than the Southeastern regional variation on the mind. That Southern talk, he was, if you heard him, you might cringe today, but this man was a first rate scholar and lawyer. And so, so his right, and then Spotswood Robinson was probably the smartest one of them. He's from Virginia him and Oliver Hill That is that Tidewater variation. And I'm saying all that to bring it to this. This was during Jim Crow segregation. The way that they were able to bust open this social structure, primarily for a very small Black elite, so to speak, not for the masses of African people, was by taking advantage of their apartheid-grounded experiences. Black elementary school, black junior high school, black high school, historically black colleges for training, many of them black colleges for law school, although many of them not black colleges for law school. And then if they were academics, they were teaching at black colleges, training black lawyers like Charlie Houston was. If they were practicing attorneys, they were practicing either solo practitioners or bond with other black attorneys. If they were doctors, they were practicing in the black community. Now, the irony is. And here's, Here's the question I want to ask: Is you you saying I want to bust it all up? What's the best strategy? Or I mean, not to exclude one or the other, but because we're not living in the apartheid world, well, we are living in the apartheid world. We still are. It's just not uh, de jure apartheid. It's not legal apartheid, although they're trying to bring it back. It's it's in fact. But the great irony of African experiences in the United States is that those who have made the most progress in breaking it up. Were the generation that came out of when we trained each other, right? Not right. sense. <laughs> this is the
0: problem. I, I arrived at this conclusion that uh, the more, and this is why I talk about this every single day. The more comfort you have with yourself and your power, your, the more you know about the knowledge of your power, the more you exercise your individual and collective power. I looked at the Budweiser situation, right? Budweiser Mm. Budweiser went and did a rainbow can and went and gave an endorsement deal to a transgendered person. And the people that drink that piss water uh, (laughs) were mad. Now here's where Budweiser miscalculated. The vast majority of people that drink that piss water don't like the yes yes you they didn't know their audience right so you would think they would know you would think they would know where they make their money so here's what i'm i'm saying you know from the montgomery bus boycott which majority of black people on that bus bankrupted that they they had to make changes when you have the power which black folk in particular we over index in media so all these media outlets they, they need our, if we stop watching CNN, MSNBC, there's no CNN, MSNBC. If we stop buying Nike, there's no Nike. If we stop, um, I mean, just about every industry where it, where is media, that's us. We over index, right. Even though we're a small percentage of the population, supposedly we don't fill out the census either, but the Budweiser folks showed me something, right? If you, if you don't like how the company that you spend money on and they didn't have a meeting. There was no like collective thing. They just were like, we're not, oh, we're not doing this. And it was real quick, (laughs) real quick. They lost $7 billion Bush lost in a week. You see that? And I'm like, what can we do if we just, you know, and, and, and oh, boycotts and all that, but we just should value ourselves. If there's disrespect. You know, if there's disrespect by any industry, we should just have the, the, the gumption to say, yeah, you know what? I'm not spending my money with that. And we should know which companies rock with us and which ones don't. That said, what I'm saying is the, the whole whether we code switch or not, industry shifts based on our behavior. You know, I remember I was just telling uh, maybe it was my class. There was there were not, very few black reporters before the riots,
1: very few black reporters in the white press.
0: In the white, oh, yes. Yeah, thank you, thank you for the people. correction. <laughs> thank you for the correction. Yes, no, absolutely. The greatest reporters were in the black press. But white establishments, the Washington Post, the New York Times, the LA Times, didn't have too many black reporters. And no it's problem. only 4% of the newsroom is black. So they didn't make leaps and bounds. But the riots, they were like, oh, we can't go into these neighborhoods. You know who can? Uh, black people, hey, let's hire, let's hire. Right? So I'm, I'm at the Daily News On the backs of people who a sued the Daily News for racism, thank you, thank you. The the four that that sued Bob Herbert dropped out, so he wasn't part of the lawsuit, but he did get a column out of it. That said, and was deserved. When we show up and we have numbers and strength, you know, behind us, and we know our value, it is. It, the the industry shifts to make room right because it it's still we're in
1: capitalism well they shift and how did like say that first generated the mal goods and them like you say kicking that propelled because they couldn't send white people into those neighborhoods print media so now what how would you characterize then shortly thereafter almost contemporaneous with them in the 60s in particular the television wave of that The Max Robinsons, the Trudy Haynes, Bernie Shaw, Shaw, uh, Ed Bradley, Jim Vance. Could they show up like?
0: Well, Bernie Shaw felt to me very, very black
1: when I, when I, the way. What was it about Bernie Shaw? I don't
0: know. Something about the way Bernie Shaw, maybe
1: because he looked like my dad. I I don't know. That's probably part of it. Ed, Ra- Ed Bradley, I don't think ever code switched. Ed no, Bradley, yeah, like he was, raised, like <laughs> he was man, some guy. He was sitting there, yeah. Oh, he was go. Yeah. Uh, Max Robinson from Richmond, Virginia, did not code. But it's interesting you're raising this. Do you think that something shifts in terms of these doors and these social structures opening when it moves from the written word to the visual and and the oral?
0: Maybe, maybe you know. But also think we behave in a way that we think they will accept us as opposed to seeing, like, I'm always going to try to find out. (laughs) I'm always going to, will you accept this? (laughs) And then, oh, you did. Okay. Let me, let me try a little bit more. Oh, okay. Let me, you know, like I'm all, I don't ask permission. I'm always going to see what's many of us have been conditioned. Well, this is how, which is why we make some of the worst managers because we treat black people worse than, because we want, we want to show Massa that we are not gonna be prejudiced where I'm going to be it's not prejudiced, extremely mindful of like bringing in as many black people. Most of us get in these positions because we understand we are only here, um, you know, to, to uh, and we don't want to embarrass. We, you know, we want to make sure more- in our minds, maybe we're like, let's let's um, you know, I'm going to be super hard on the other black people so that they know that I'm not giving them preferential treatment. And I'm like,
1: no. I mean, there are moments when whether it be Colbert King or Bill Raspberry, uh, whether it be, you know, in those white spaces, there sometimes folk engage in governance conversations in the name of being keeping it what young people say keeping it real or, or you know, a pre a current subsequent generation. And then how do we balance when those those worlds collide? In other words, I wanna be my authentic self. So I'm going to write, I'm going to speak, I'm going to be in public the way I would be if I weren't in public. And then a social structure, whether it be spectacle, whether it be using it as a way to keep control or imagine control says, oh yeah, we like this person. Like for example, Jason Whitlock in the contemporary moment, I think it, it has, has a dimension of that. The whole idea that Jason Whitlock may articulate something that is comfortably within the range of blackness, so to speak, not blackness as a political construct, simply as a group, because we know there's every kind of opinion in black communities. But the fact that he has calibrated his pronouncements to almost become a caricature and that the social structure feeling very comfortable says, yeah, we're going to elevate you to a point. So when you talk about I don't like this movie uh, air because everybody knows Michael Jackson's father, uh, Michael Jackson, Michael Jordan's father was, he was very close with him. They were very close. And so therefore the man in the movie is virtually an appendage. It's all about the mom and these white boys. I'm like, you damn right about that, bro. But at the same time, I cannot embrace you fully because they are using you on the way to another point. So your question, your, your notion of the erasure of black men as fathers is hella on but it's attached to the rest of this mess and they got you in this space for the mess how do we how do we how do we engage in this politics of representation because okay. you know there's no we we try to I build a know, I know
0: I know and as you're talking I'm also thinking that there are a lot of black people that like like Jason Whitlock does, yes. does not have a small black audience no uh, you know and Trump you know four percent of black women. 12% of black men voted for Donald Trump. I know someone, I have a family member that voted for Donald Trump. So there, there, are, there are touch points in our community that we also, because we're not monolithic, that we have to reconcile with, right? So, so there's a lot, man, we gotta do so much. But the, on the other side, <laughs> I also think having to do it makes us superheroes, right? Having to do it because that's a muscle that most people do not ever ever have to exercise. We have to think about what do they think, what do we think? Are we serving ourselves? Are we serving the community? How does this land? Do we create something that doesn't exist? How do we, you know, there's a lot to think about. And in process of in the process of going through all of this, you arrive at a place that very few people get to, you know. And maybe you don't have clear understanding, but at least you've thought through thought through some some things that many people are not even. It's like we're we're all black and white. Knee-jerk reacting, as opposed to seeing the nuances, because Jason Whitlock's not wrong all the time, which make which why which is why he is so successful, right? I'm gonna tell you another transparent thing. At the Daily News, I you know wrote columns that absolutely touched on some of the same points. Now I was very clear about my pro-blackness in it, but I also knew that the paper in which I worked kind of demanded that, right? So I leaned into those those things on vocational education. I remember I did a very uh, complicated editorial on lowering the standards for higher education with Adelaide Sanf- Sanford, the great Adelaide Sanford, who I didn't really know, you know, who she was at the time. But I challenged this notion of remedial education, higher education should be higher ed. Everyone shouldn't have to shouldn't be able to go if you can't pass basic math and science basic basic English and math, you should not go to college. Master it at yeah. the lower levels. Absolutely. So, so,
1: but those- Which is, those, us, which is a conversation, if you yeah. were having that with Regent Sanford and me and thousands of people in Nubia and all these other black folk around the world, that would be the full range of debate. And then the context, as you say, as you are working in a space, that the whole idea that this New York state, that the, the corporations that the media have targeted at Sanford, in part because she's going to defend, like you, black people. Right. That is. That was not your intent. That's not your, But they right. have a different. Right. How do you manage this? this, is, right. this is this, exactly this is exactly so. so? I'm in the power. I'm in the
0: power structure. Not understanding. I know I'm right, oh. but the paper that I work for is not right. Right. So, so it's not a, even a fair conversation. Right. So, so you're you're balancing and navigating. I know. Listen. Um. <laughs> Uh, Stanley Crouch would be in the.
1: You know, Ooh, come on now.
0: But I sought him out, right? He wasn't a mentor, like he and he could have been. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I do. I saying, do. Again, there are people you're in these places. You're not really. Oh, she's up and coming. I ain't really trying to help her. Nah. But you know, but I would be picking at him. You know, he come in. But he wasn't. He didn't sit down the way I sat down with Stephen A. The way I sat down with Deneen Milner. The way I would. Seek out the young people coming in and it's like, okay, here's the mistake. Here are the mistakes I made. Why do you think that is? Because I feel like every, we we only, we know we, they only give us one in our minds. They're only going to make room for one. The way when.
1: when, Crouch with his relationship now, I guess maybe when Marcellus isn't a journalist. No. So I mean I'm thinking about Crouch's relationship with people who say he sat with us, like Albert Murray sat with him, like Ralph Ellison said. You know There was a relationship, but it's very interesting to me to hear you say that it was not in the field he was in. Because you know, him yeah. and Baraka, the famous book yeah. fight at the village voice. I mean right. that and it's just wrote
0: about music. So there's a there's an exchange there. It's not okay. just a mentorship. You are in the Marsalises, there. Mm-hmm. are brilliant you are gaining so much as a journalist in music which was one of his things like that i don't think that was purely you know altruistic on his point no, on his no. part but good you
1: know point. good point to, good point
0: to your point though you you sit in these spaces and you think like i did when the guy came over and said Do you want to be on the editorial board and i was like first of all it's boring who wants to write boring <laughs> stuff and then you already got a black person because i understood in my mind because there's only room for one you already got your black Why are you coming to talk to me? Because you
1: need a different Black. Right, right. Black ain't the Black of the moment. Going back to what you said about we want want brilliant, trained journalists. I mean, isn't it fascinating, those of you who who need to go back in the archive and look at the conversation we had about Charles Loeb. For example, this is a Black press guy. You could have picked the Charles. I mean, it's interesting. But when you bring us over, you want the best we have. Whether it's football basketball when they integrate it, or journalism or whatever we want the cream and so when you come along what would you say generationally are you third gen second gen from the door kicking down moment in the 60s might maybe third gen like there's there's, there's, there's the there's the, there's the uh, mal goods in them and then maybe the Max Robinsons in them and coming in.
0: I'm late 20s mm-hmm. at this point. So,
1: yeah, so when, mind you, mind. when you get there, like, where's Chuck Stone? Where's Chuck Stone in the genius? I guess he would be back there with Air Bradley and all.
0: That. Yeah, 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 like, I'm maybe like third.
1: Going yeah, through. I would say probably, comfortably third, maybe, yeah. And so after you, that, that between you and your students, how many generations have there been? Because,
0: ooh, ooh, man.
1: there's a disruption now, because people right. not reading the newspaper, anybody right. with the ability to upload is right. talking all the time. Right. And right. still, they are still picking winners and losers. Yeah. So as you said, they're not watching Joy Reid on MSNBC. They listen to the Breakfast Club in the shade room. You know what I'm saying? so now. You now they have disrupted it completely and said we will curate blackness in a way that will eviscerate any notion of standards. In fact, no, that's not true. That will set the standard from blackness from without. Right. We, we want we want a certain type of non-penetrating, non-nuanced, non-incisive. This is not a critique at all of any of these people, because they are looking to be. Uh, what do they call it? Plot. No, they're looking to be rich. They're looking to be rich. They're moving. They're right. I want to be visible for profit. So if Joe Biden wants to talk to Charlemagne and not Karen Hunter, that is a deliberate choice from the social structure. And you're willing when you have him sitting there saying, Look, I know why you want to talk to me because everybody's listening, but uh, you need to go talk to Karen Hunter. Maybe you want to stop by Roland Martin. Hey, by the way, have you? No, 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 forget. Mm-mm, no, I'm talking about not to pick me. You not know I, mean? I... I understand. I'm gonna ask you these questions because you're here. But while I got you here, I want to remind you I'm not a journalist. <laughs> and but but see why won't they say that? Because in his
0: mind, he thinks we we redefine what journalism is. Number one, so anybody that can ask a question, I guess you know. And and, and as you're talking, let me and let me shout out Stephen A. Because he will definitely on occasion say, "I don't know this." Go listen to Karen Hunter or Joe Madison. He does that. See, on regular,
1: that's and important.
0: That is, because it's true.
1: <laughs> that is the first that's reason true. it's important. Right. <laughs> because it's true. <laughs> no no true. question. No, 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 that's important. No question. So then, okay, so, so let's think about this in the context of our brother, Justin Pierce and Justin Jones. These are 20-somethings. Age is absolutely not an excuse. It absolutely is... Uh, partial explanation, depending on what we're trying to focus on. Um, I was talking to um, my brother, Errol Henderson, the other day. Uh, he wrote a book, which is actually available. You can find a PDF of this it. called The Revolution Will Not Be Theorized, Cultural Revolution in the Black Power Era. I just haven't had it here because I just talked to him yesterday. And Errol was talking about, this book chronicles the, the The 1960s and 70s, the so-called Black Power Era. And he does a deep dive, a case study of about a half dozen Black Power organizations. Ones that we uh, know. Revolutionary Action Movement, our brother Muhammad Ahmed, who's still around. Uh, Max Stanford, he was known as um, US, the organization US and the kind of affiliate organizations that kind of come out of that moment in the the Bay Area and in Southern California in the 1960s. Um, The Panthers, of course, Black Panther Party. Um, The League of Revolutionary uh, Black Workers, um, very important um, in Detroit, coming out of DRUM, the Dodge Movement. Um, The Republic of New Africa, of course. And um, the Congress of African People, That's uh, Mary Baraka and them, uh, Newark, Committee for a Unified Newark, and of course, the Shrine of the Black Madonna. Uh, Errol, very proud son of Brewster Projects in Detroit, shout out to Errol Henderson. He wanted to write a book, he said, because a lot of discussions of our political movements, and he focused specifically on the so-called civil rights movement and the so-called black power movement in the 1950s, 60s, 70s. A lot of work on that. And by work, I mean, now let me not use the word work. I'm going to stop affiliating the word work with writing because writing is work, but it kind of displaces the notion in some ways. Um, a lot of academic scholarship on those periods tend to be historical. He said, I wanted to write a book that engaged in some theory building. So he, ta- he says the most important theoretical figure of that period of the 60s was Malcolm X in his mind. And I was talking to him yesterday. We were talking about Rosa Parks, who he knew in Detroit. Rosa Parks, who would be on the front line in protests. Rosa Parks, who was always involved in organizing and moving. And you know, he says when you think about our communities, you can't think—you can, but it won't be very useful—to think of us in these rigid ideological boxes. And he said that when you see a Rosa Parks, we have her stuck on a bus in Montgomery. And now, of course, they've got a doll of her stuck on the damn bus in Montgomery for sale. The social structure in this country needs black people to fit into its uses, its its needs. In order to utterly destroy the existing social relations and build different social relations, we're going to have to take very seriously the work of examining ourselves. I'm not sure that can be done in mixed company. Quite frankly, because whiteness has a way of centering itself, even when it doesn't want to. So, and let me get very specific that in this conversation I was having with Earl. He said, er- "Earl so one of the reasons we need to look at the Black Power movement as more than just the name, uh, the list of names, and what they did and where they did it, and sit back and think about this in terms of concepts and theories." without getting too heavily jargonesque and theoretical, because, you know, we've been at this now, 162 Saturdays and counting, in addition to now having Nubia narrative and having this kind of flowering and, and mushrooming space, we have to think about, or we should think about, how we critically assess the impact of our unbroken struggles so let me be very specific about this and there i know there are a lot i mean you know in talking to uh bishop kimathi the in the shrine the d kimathi nelson i know all the ministers of the shrine are regular members of this week weekly community the Shrine still exists. The Shrine still holds a lot of weight, owns a lot of property, touches a lot of people, engages in this deep work, the Pan-African Orthodox Church. And we talked about that, of course, Bishop Jeromogi, of course, and, and Errol writes about the, 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 the Shrine. The Shrine still exists. He said. Whereas the Panthers, us, cars of African people, League Revolutionary Black Workers, Republic of New Africa, are often narrated by what I would call, what we would call social structure narratives and people who are writing to the social structure. I'm talking about even black academics who are trying to get book contracts, trying to get university press books, trying to call themselves insurgents, but really, you know, really trying to write and are kind of being curated by this external factors. These, the they they, they regroup these organizations and these people into these. Are they revolutionary nationalists? Are they cultural nationalists? He said the question of culture is very central to all of this. He said, when you look at something like the shrine, and I hope there's some shrine folk here this morning in Nubia. And if not, uh, I think y'all and those of you who watch it through the week on the YouTube side, you know, hope you all put this in the comments as well to kind of flesh this out. Because, again, these comments are so rich. We write in books every week and throughout the week. I mean, man. He says, Errol says, the shrine coming out of the Black Power era with all these organizations and others, like the Nation of Islam, for example, are saying we must have Black institutions that we control, that we develop, and that, and, 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 and that have as part of our work. And by we now mean members of these organizations and the communities they touch, whether it be legal revolutionary black workers in Detroit, would say we must ground our efforts in those who work the line at Dodge and Ford and Chrysler and the communities that we come out of. That's the quote-unquote vanguard. He talks a lot about how the Black you know, nationalists and the Marxists had their conflicts within their things they share in common. He takes it all the way back to the 20s and 30s. He talks about Du Bois and Black Reconstruction in America. He takes it through Harold Cruz, who he knew was on the dissertation committee, actually, a crisis, Negro nigger, intellectual. Very interesting. He said, you know, where is the locus of building the we? The locus of building the we has to be in the people, not in the quote-unquote elite, that little sliver. Where there were some concessions made in the 1940s 50s and 60s that allowed them a little bit of a, a, a of an escape route so that now these are the people who we might end up seeing in the code switching places more often than not now he's talking about the masses of people he said and i hate to use the word masses because it assumes when we hear masses we assume this is a group of people who all think alike who all move alike and we know that's not true We're talking about mostly a socioeconomic status Whereas the Black Panthers would say, oh, it's the lump proletariat, whatever, you know, the, 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 the League of Revolutionary Black Workers say, yeah, they in the lower classes, but we work in working class people, communities, and the Panthers had the free breakfast program, the liberation schools, all this very important work. And League Revolutionary Black Workers, you know, say, yeah, we, we got to do that work. and But we differ maybe slightly on how to approach the work. Now, I'm just laying all that field out because I really hadn't intended to get into, in, into Errol's book today, but it's a good place for us to kind of, turn in terms of this broader conversation we've been having, what Errol proposes, help me Shrine folk who are here, is that the Shrine, Bishop Clegg, Albert Clegg, Baba Jeramoji, saying, you know, the push to build a we needs to involve sending our representatives into these strategic positions In the broader social structure, whether it be politics, whether it be business, you know, social structure facing business. And he focuses on politics in particular to say that a lot of these black nationalist organizations pushed for electoral politics representation from our community to advance our interests. Same thing we're talking about. Today, but different. And here's where I go through. I'm just gonna take about maybe two minutes to talk about this. He focuses, for example, 1972, the Gary Political Convention that we talked about, Gary Indiana. You know, have got a black mayor, Richard Hatcher, he and Stokes in Cleveland, the two first two black mayors of major American cities. You know, they call the convention, uh Mary Baraka, of course. Betty Shabazz is there, Chris Scott King, they opened the convention. And we've talked about that before, too. I'm not going to go over this ground again. I'm just going to make the point that electoral politics is part of the strategy. It's not the goal, but it is a tool, a strategy. Well, what he says is that as repression, as it always does in the social structure, that's anti that's absolutely what we're still living in, not just in the U.S., but globally. As this system pushes back. The politics of the elected officials begins to take the contour, not so much of the communities that send them there, and this is predictable, but the places they enter. So those first wave of black elected officials are gonna be hella black in many ways, whether it be coming through organized labor like Coleman Young in Detroit, maybe a a little slight overlap, but a generation or so later, Harold Washington in Chicago, you know, you're gonna see them come out of coalition politics that reflect the 1960s and 70s. But then subsequent generations are going to get farther away from that. And what Errol talks about is, he says, you got something like the Shrine of Black Madonna and pushing for, among all these other organizations as well, pushing for black elected officials. And now what remains of that today is that blackness has become more of an identity than a representative of broad black community interests, so it is not unusual to see. It. Well, it is unusual in this moment, but you can understand the provenance of a Justin Pearson showing up on the floor of the Tennessee Legislature in a dashiki covering a shirt and tie. People say that's a contradiction. Not a contradiction at all. If you understand how the social structure has curated the ways that we talk about Black political power in its framework. At the same time, you can understand when Justin Pearson shows up and makes his ritual appearance on The Breakfast Club, talking to Charlemagne, and Charlemagne takes a call from a sister who says, Yeah, I understand, you know, I need to understand specifically what are you going to do specifically for black people? I'm asking the question of reparations. What is the reparations question? Okay, this is the descendant of slaves or slavery, I guess, position. I can hear Errol Henderson saying this too was predictable. Why? Because the reparations movement, which has a solid leg in Detroit. Reparations, Ray Jenkins, you know, John Conyers representative, whereas John Conyers was pushing for H.R. 40 for decades coming out of the influence of the Black nationalist formations in Detroit, pushing for reparations and connected to the Black nationalist formations and internationalist formations around the country. Justin Pearson is confronted with a question from a sister who may or may not know that history, but certainly now does not equate seeing a Black elected official with representing Black interests. But that is a logical and natural progression when you don't have independent black politics, which can shape and then send into these combat arenas. And by combat arenas, I don't even just mean electoral politics. I mean, mass media. I mean, every other form of mediation outside of black community uh, mediation, any form of uh, any formation outside of black communities. That is a natural progression. If you don't have a strong internal mechanism institutions formations again this is the ongoing uh work that we're doing here in nubia this is the ongoing work if you have a strong base that you can then project out into these spaces what history shows us is that's been the most effective way to to either transform the spaces nominally, we haven't succeeded in transforming them yet, but certainly altering them in some way, certainly knocking them off their previous plans, now, of course, we can debate whether or not they can recover, and it seems increasingly that they're not going to be able to recover. I mean, the modern world system we live in, which is fracturing as we speak. I know y'all been paying attention. Uh, Xi Jinping just hosted uh, Macron from France. He trying Macron trying to uh, make all the sides work together, and he getting slapped from every side. But he also hosted Lula da Silva. That's in all the papers last week. Lula was just came back from China. I mean, he may still be over there. Anyway, as the world changes, the American Negro disconnected in part because our movement in memory is weak another one of errol's points we don't always pay attention to the fact that this was predictable to have black elected officials who are grounded in their very specific black experiences Justin Pearson. This isn't a critique. Just man came out of West Tennessee. He went to school at Bowden. He, you know, and then he came back to home. He's been busting his ass on gun violence and everything else. Part of a deep rooted tradition of struggle and protest. He's elected to the state legislature. He shows up who as who he is. You know, I went back and looked at a few of, of the Young Brother sermons prior to this moment, and yeah, he preaches like he talked in the legislature. Sure, there may have been. A kind of um, a kind of intensification, not intensification, almost that's not, there may have been a more intense articulation of his pulpit speech, but it wasn't inauthentic. It was not inauthentic. It, 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 and, and that can be attributed. And I can say this as an old theater major that can be attributed to nerves. This man being—he's facing down every white nationalist in the whole damn world in the well of the hillbilly Tennessee state legislature. So uh, if he says, "Oh, but Sunday is coming," the man is drawing on what he knows. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so, while part of me is like, uh, the other part of me is like, "Go ahead, man, work it out," because you—what you're not gonna do is flinch. And you and the young brother Jones, when Justin Jones confronted that hillbilly uh, the other day. Uh, um, uh, John Rogan, that hillbilly who said, I believe in God. And Justin Jones quoted without looking down Isaiah uh, chapter 10 about beware of this fault bearing false witness. Oh, yeah. And then the hillbilly who likes to play with the, uh, likes to play with the microphones, uh, the speaker at the Tennessee house, uh, Sexton, Cameron Sexton, you know, cut off his mic because they like cutting off mics because they can't stand it. You know, that's at a moment when I appreciate when you wince, when you hear a Negro who speaks a certain way. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Cut it off. Because nobody questions these hillbillies when they come in there sounding sound like Roy Acuff and Dolly Parton. Nobody questions these hillbillies when they come in there sound and sound like little Jimmy Dickens and Jimmy Dean. Nobody uh, questions these hillbillies when they show up like uh, sounding like Hank Williams, Junior and Senior, even though something, many of them not from Tennessee. You know, that performance of speech. But when we see that moment, the blackness that is being projected is not the same blackness of the 1940s, 50s, 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s. It has been intersected by a number of social structure disruptions, a number of disruptions in science and technology, a number of disruptions and almost complete severances of movement and memory. So that leaves us with the question. What? Should, can, we do. I'm going to pause here and say that I think one of the central potential, and I say potential with this because again, three years now. Hundreds of hours at this point of conversation with a lot of breadcrumbs to use our original metaphor, Professor Hunter. We. These are just all points of entry. We have to immerse ourselves in self-study, self-evaluation so that we can see the patterns, make the adjustments, innovate and move collectively forward because there is no we. The we was convened from without. I'm not going to go back over this We uh, uh, because we've talked about it so many times. I'm just I'm just evoking that there is no we. So when we say by we, meaning those of us who have been grouped and categorized. As uh, Michael Gomez wrote in Exchanging Our Country Mark, in, in Exchanging Our Country Marks, he says the black elite don't represent black America. They are a part of black America, but when we're talking about representing the collective interests of everyone, they increasingly do not do that. He says, it is the vast majority of the people who do the most suffering, who continue to represent Africa to America. This is critical. So let me reset and ask, what can we do? What should we be paying attention to? As we engage in this deep dive of study, well, when we talk about collective power, this requires on the ground organizing. I say, I don't want to use on the ground again, on the ground, because again, these metaphors reinforce in our mind these divisions, which don't have to be divisions. We all bring valuable work, metaphorically, as, as, as you say, bricks to the table. As we convene ourselves through the, I wanna say difficult work, but it's really not hard. It requires commitment of getting to know each other, getting to share our stories with each other, getting to pool our resources. And our first and most important resources are us. We are the bricks, our time, our talents, our efforts. Let me put a footnote here and say, Prof, that I, that's what I was going to say about an hour ago. Bring greetings. I was on campus yesterday. My nephew is in town. They got these spring fests going on everywhere. And then we start talking about freakness. That's what remind me. This is the season the colleges are having their spring things. And they had accepted students day yesterday at a number of places, Howard University being one. And I was on campus and all these parents were coming up with their children who now got to choose whether or not they're going to go into debt or try to get enough scholarship money to come to uh, to college at howard as opposed to somewhere else now now it's about how much money you afford. but these parents were saying you know tell professor hunter say hello why you know we watch you all through the week a lot of them watch on youtube some of them they were saying we're Nubians. oh wow this is great this is something oh yeah yeah keep doing what you're doing they're talking about how this kind of just having these conversations and, and kind of convening these resources uh one brother I was talking to yesterday he was there his wife his daughter is coming in the fall she's a she's going to be a, a do a physician's assistant work as an undergraduate he said you know it really transformed the way i think what what we're doing together is transforming the way i look at the world and i said well that's a blessing he said no thank you man because it's really changed i said well look thank you because we're doing this together it's affirming who we are as human beings. It's affirming who we are as African people. And it's affirming how these things are not accidents. They are connected and that we have this long genealogy, this momentum of memory. So that was the footnote. No. So as we're thinking about convening these wes to move forward with collective power, we understand the source of that is the broader community, not that part of the community that the social structure deliberately tries to curate to maintain its hierarchy, the one that's fracturing globally. Okay. So we'll wind this up kind of quickly today because um, among other things, if you're in the DMV area uh, today at two o'clock, we're going to be down at at one of our spots, of course, Sankofa Film and Books. Uh, there's a screening of a documentary on the great poet, critic, Historian, culture keeper, more than anything, master teacher, Sterling Allen Brown. Sterling Brown, um, this is a collection of his poetry, um, Michael Harper edited many years ago, the Collected Poems of Sterling Allen Brown. This is uh, probably the best single volume about him after winter from one of his poems, The Art and Life of Sterling Allen Brown. Sterling Brown, who was born on the campus of Howard University, uh, 1901 who made transition 1989 Sterling Brown uh, whose father Sterling N. Brown Here's something you don't see every day. I pulled it out. I don't think I'm going to take this out Because I found this years ago and didn't even know what it was Except to know I knew the name. This is Sterling Brown's father Who was born into enslavement in Tennessee I'll come back to Tennessee these days. This is Sterling N. Brown Sterling Nelson Brown, my own life story Mm. This is Professor Brown.
0: So that looks like that might be public domain.
1: It might be. If it if it is, we need to scan it. You probably probably find it. Somebody might find it put it in the... Uh,
0: oh, definitely.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's called My Own Life Story. Sterling N. Brown, the father of Sterling Brown, born into enslavement. Sterling Brown was a uh, pastor for many years um, of the Congregational Church in Washington, D.C., debates Debates involving Booker T Washington, W.E.B. Du Bois, the American Negro Academy met there, Uh, you know, so Sterling Brown, Sterling N. Brown, very important. Um, He was a professor on the faculty of Howard University for about 40 years. And as people used to say, for most of the life of Howard University, Sterling Brown was listed on the faculty because his son, Sterling Brown, spent 40 years on the faculty at Howard university beginning his career at Virginia union. Shout out to Virginia union. I know, uh, Reverend Wright is here this morning. He always here. So, you know, and when I'm talking about Sterling Brown, I know he, he, look, he, man, I know he got the stories. Sterling Brown, uh, Sterling Brown's father went to Fisk university. Uh, yes. So if you do the math, you're talking about him at Fisk around the same time that Du Bois is there. So Sterling Brown, in fact, knew Du Bois, knew all of them, knew all of these figures. Frederick Douglass uh, was a friend of Sterling N. Brown. His father, he passed in 1895. Sterling, Brown, Sterling A. Brown was born in 1901. Um, when you hear Sterling Brown, you hear the South. But it's a South that is mediated through, like I say, um, his parents who met in, uh, in undergrad, Sterling Brown, Professor Brown, the one I'm, me, Holly and I are talking about today because Holly Garima and Shrikiana, Aena, Shrikiana Garima, who they lived around a corner from Sterling Brown, the Sterling Brown house in Northeast DC where he and his wife, Daisy, um, met, uh, who met and married and were married until Daisy made transition about 10 years before Sterling Brown did. Um, Daisy, who was from Roanoke, Virginia, Uh, They met at Virginia Union, I want to say. Yeah, when he was teaching there. Uh, Sterling Brown, who was born, i say, on campus of Howard University, who then went to school in the segregated schools of Washington, D.C., who then went to the great, of course, where else, Paul Lawrence Dunbar High School. (laughs) Graduated from there, and uh, we talk about Justin Pearson, who went to Bowdoin. Well, uh, Sterling Brown went to Williams College. Uh, At that time, of course, as we talked about when we talked about the history of Dunbar High School, The valedictorian and salutatorian of Dunbar were guaranteed slots for years at either Williams College or Amherst College. Amherst, of course, is where um, Charles Hamilton Houston went to school. Charlie Drew went to school. It was a book called Black Men of Amherst. I was just reading it the other day. Anyway, it's, it's in the other room. I'm saying all this as a background to this point. When you hear Sterling Brown, you hear the South. Washington, D.C. is the South for sure. But more importantly, his roots are in the South. But it's also a very cultivated way of speaking because Sterling Brown recognized that the source of Black cultural power, which means ultimately, if we're following Errol Henderson, the source of Black political power is in the culture. And so Sterling Brown studied poetry. In fact, an excellent, excellent book by Professor Gavin, Joanne Gavin, for many years, um, James Madison University. I want to say she was at William Mary too. I haven't seen her in a, in a few years. Sterling A. Brown, Building the Black Aesthetic Tradition. It's an excellent book if you get a chance to, to pick this up. She chronicles Sterling Brown's life and work, his literary upbringing, his deep immersion in, uh, in, in scholarship, Uh, He was taught, for example, at Dunbar High School. Um, Jesse Fawcett, that's right, the poet, the writer, friend of W. B. Du Bois, was on the faculty at Dunbar at the time. Angelina Grimke was on the faculty at the time. Um, Haley Douglas, who was the grandson of Frederick Douglass, was on the faculty at the time. First rate education at Dunbar, as we know. And I'm thinking about it in the context of Justin Pearson, because... You know, Justin Pearson clearly got a solid education in Memphis and then went off the boat. Now, Tucker Carlson, an excellent social structure example of, um what is it? Oh, yeah. Affirmative action, also known as whiteness. On the best day of his long, I hope he lives a thousand years. And on the best day of those thousand years, you will not be able to measure the one thumbnail's inch of filings of any African that went to Dunbar High School or really any African living today. but. In contrasting that, what you see is that we send our children to get an education to serve the race. Justin Pearson in 2023. Sterling Brown in the 1920s, who said he wanted to follow his father into the teaching profession. His father said, okay, son, you can do that, but you should probably spend some time somewhere other than Howard. I don't want you to start here, but you can come back here. So he taught at Fisk. Virginia Union. Taught at Lincoln came back to Howard, stayed on that faculty for 40 years. Now, here's where I want to tie this together in terms of the we and these speech acts because today, as I said it too, because uh, Shriek and Highly live live around the corner from where Sterling Brown's house still is, but of course they passed away years ago, they used to go around there and sit with him. He retired from Howard University in 1969. He was beloved by the students. He was not a black nationalist, but he was rooted in black culture. So Mary Baraka, the couple of years he spent As Leroy Jones, of course, out of Newark, at Howard, swore by him. He said, the one class I would go to consistently, Sterling Brown class. On the other end of the ideological spectrum, Michael Winston, who wrote an excellent tribute in the April 1989 issue of New Directions, Howard University, there's Sterling Brown again, the famous picture to him. Again, Sterling Brown was a master teacher. Brown's students, uh, Olive Taylor talked about Taylor, right? But previous generations, I mean, he and I, we should do, a, you should know, Prof, on Sterling Brown, in fact, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do that. His birthday is May the 1st. So I'll come back to Sterling Brown. I don't want to evoke him today for a uh, for a long time. I mean, he, along with Ralph Bunch and others, Doxie Wilkinson and them, worked on the American Dilemma Project. He was the director of Negro Content for the WPA, the Writers Project that came out of uh, the Roosevelt era and he, he, his battles are chron- real chronicle trying to get black content. that wasn't caricatures and things like that. But the reason I'm bringing him up is because Sterling Brown, who was born into what would be considered a very elite Negro family in Washington, DC was contemptuous of pretension, was often accused of being a little too rough. Why? Because you would find him in Nashville when they were on faculty at Fisk. You will find him in the barbershops and the juke joints. You would find him bringing, when he was at Virginia Union, the cats who would sing the blues and all that to his class. Play this right here, we're going to have a conversation. When he was at Howard University, he'd be in Cook Hall, which is still there, uh, Cook Hall in the lounge with his blues records, with Barack and him sitting around going through his encyclopedic history of black culture in the United States and beyond. It was Sterling Brown who, among others, argued, in fact, um, Uh, Let me see, I thought I had a copy because I started pulling my Sterling Brown stuff for this afternoon. Oh yeah, this is a nice, this is a reprint edition of the Negro Poetry and Drama and the Negro in American Fiction. Sterling Brown in many ways said, if you want to represent us, you've got to sit in and with us. And there's no way you can pigeonhole us into one way of speaking, one way of being, one way of doing. However, there is a we deep in in our culture and you're not going to find it in the Negroes who's trying to front for you. Just as deeply insecure. So, so, in many ways, Sterling Brown found himself at odds with the Black bourgeoisie. And he found himself grounded in Africana, what we would call Africana ways of knowing, our governance formations. He was absolutely a keen listener for Africana cultural meaning making, our speech our idioms the way we move through the world and then in terms of movement and memory he was absolutely deliberately committed to trying to create a genealogy not a genealogy that would be separate from american genealogy social structure genealogy in the us context global genealogy no but that would be very clear that there are distinct african ways he would not call it african in fact he he like right loading i'm gonna say negro he like negro so this isn't even ideological you understand what i'm saying in fact one of the great anthologies of our time, still not duplicated in terms of its moment because you can't really duplicate things that happen in certain moments in time and space. You should just need to continue and do your own. Um, he convened a triumvirate, one of his former students, Ulysses Lee, who was by then at Lincoln University, his colleague ultimately at Howard, Arthur P. Davis, who was then at Virginia Union University. And he, and in 1941, they did this book. This is called The Negro Caravan, Brown, Davis, and Lee. Be careful here because these is kind of hard. I hope they bring, I'm sure they, the American Negro is probably going to bring this back into print and find some good white press, but maybe we can get the guy right and do it with a black. <laughs> the Negro Caravan, Writing by American Negro, selected and edited by Brown, Davis, and Lee. This is the 41 edition, one of them. And it's 1,000, including index, it's 1,082 pages. And it is a collection of short stories, novels, excerpts from novels, poetry. He was very heavily influenced by Paul Dunbar, but he said Dunbar, who has the brilliance and range to communicate black life, still has two. He says it's authentic, but there's a caricature dimension of it, and white folks like it, and that's one of the reasons they kind of promote him. He died so young, Dunbar did, and we talked in passing about Dunbar. But the the poet with which Brown is most closely associated, generally when you pair them, is Langston Hughes, Langston Hughes, who worked, who wrote about the working class people. His simple stories just be simple. When you hear Sterling Brown's poems like Old limb or the Slim poems, which kind of gesture toward one of them brothers he used to bring to Virginia and play the guitar in the classroom. And, and the black bourgeois, like, what is this Negro doing? He said, Man, this, this is where my students come from. We're gonna have this conversation about us. He's got one slim in hell, where he does it. So you got the poetry in here, you've got um folk literature, so to speak. There's everybody in here, really drama. Speeches, pamphlets, and letters, biography, essays, historical essays, social essays, cultural essays, personal essays. He and Elaine Locke working out theories of culture, sometimes at odds, sometimes in agreement. Let me put this over here somewhere where it won't get damaged. Anyway, Brown is saying, We have to look. This is where I want to tie this again, Justin Pearson. He says, You know, if Sterling Brown were physically here today, I can hear him listening to a Justin Pearson and saying, Don't judge him. But listen to him. Don't condemn him, but critique him. So, Brown might say that is the cadence and speech of the of our people. That is one of the one of the forms of cadence and speech. But in this moment of social address, we must also pay attention to whether or not, like Dunbar, this might be a moment when we want to overburden that moment that we hear this young brother Pearson, because one, we understand that what we would call the social structure wants to elevate and curate him as representative of all of us. And Brown would say, don't do that. We're very complex, but we know that that's what you do, which means number two, We have a responsibility, and this is where it gets very difficult in the governance formation as we think about this African states framework, we have a responsibility to be as honest as we can with each other without, which is why the conversation we had earlier, Prof, about how you balance that in a space where we know y'all got a different agenda, we got to be as honest as we can without becoming pawns in the larger game of black oppression. That is a difficult thing. And Brown spends his life grappling with that. He arguing with Gunnar Murdahl, saying, no, you got to get this cultural representation right. He's arguing with the people in the Works Progress Administration when he put they put him over the, the writing part of these state guides where he's saying, y'all gonna put that in this about the Negro in Mississippi? Or oh, you went to Georgia and say, you ain't see no Negroes? What the hell? He's editing everything, battling with the, because I have to be able to communicate this. This is at the same time that he's writing and publishing his own poetry, that he's teaching generations of students, becomes this beloved heroic figure. And so I'll end with this for today. The question of, because we ended today with the speech act of Justin Pearson and what black speech acts are used for and used against when it comes to black people not only in this country, but in, around the world. And so when we think about ourselves in the contemporary moment, when we think about ourselves in a moment where we are more publicly diverse in terms of our blackness in the world than at any time in modern history. We have to ask ourselves, What are the choices that we make as we construct this we? And what are the choices that a social structure makes that absolutely does not mean the vast majority of us will? All over the papers today, whether it be uh, the International Money Fund demanding that these African countries restructure their debt and now, you know, are we going back to the 80s and 90s where y'all put this austerity measures on them in the world today? that All that's, that's going on. The massive African people, Ghana, for example, owe so much money that they're saying they may have to choose between healthcare and education programs and debt service. Meanwhile, China's like, maybe we'll forget the debt. Maybe we won't. The IMF is like, if we're going to give y'all any more debt forgiveness, we need to see these changes. And meanwhile, people say, I need an education. Okay, while all that is going on, they're curating, I was looking at the, today's uh, Financial Times, let me see if I can find it right, in the magazine. This is the magazine part, where they tell you all the billionaire stuff you want to buy, right? They got this whole thing on these black artists they love so much, the Africa Connection. This is a young Nigerian sister who is doing uh, stuff around furniture. Here's a, he, here's a sister right here who was born in Germany. She's based in London, but her people are from Nigeria around Kano. So uh, Eve Sonake, Uh, Peter Mabeo, he's doing stuff around furniture. Now, all this is high-end luxury stuff. At the same time, the place they're from, the the mass people are suffering. So you can enjoy blackness without alleviating the struggle of African people. As the brother, Ghanaian brothers, I was talking to them earlier this week, we were having a conversation with some cats, man. And this brother was like, you know, it's funny. It ain't funny, really. He said, the people who took the plants and made paper money out of them have all this stuff and then here we are, he's Ghanaian. he said, we walking on top of the gold that backs all that stuff, the most precious metals, and we don't have anything. And he said, oh, yeah, and the plants they made the paper out of, the trees and stuff, that's ours too. <laughs> said, How in the hell we end up with nothing? So, but the minute you try to withdraw from that system... This is when that system says, "Oh, we got to come for you." And if we got to give a few artists some stuff cuz we like having some African flavored things in our house, that's fine. But the masses of y'all owe us 150 billion dollars, damn it, and you ain't going to ask the 800 billion in the case of some of the external funding uh, about 200 million billion of it to the West. Um so yeah, y- y'all not going to y'all going to suffer. See, these two things can happen at the same time. So Justin Pearson and Justin Jones and the Tennessee legislature giving powerful speeches, being representative, and now in the public eye in a way that they were not two weeks ago, now are under the crushing burden of answering what comes next, because if it's just gonna be speeches, it becomes a proxy fight. And then we, oh, for that matter, I might as well play a video game. But you can't get any policy done. Can you get any policy done? It's going to be more than just speeches on the floor of the legislature. You can't get any legislation passed. Although that was when Justin Jones was uh, coming back at Rogan because they just introduced trying the in pass House Bill in Tennessee, 1376. That's their version called the Higher Education Freedom of Expression Act. That's their version of the anti-CRT bill in Tennessee. That's when they got he, he got into the beef with him uh the other day but our those two things didn't exist at the same time the black elite gonna be fine so to speak but it's the masses of our people the, the larger formations of the people the people who are doing the suffering that we if we're serious about group advancement are going to have to really immerse and ground in this is who sterling brown was studying and being with This is who Errol Henderson is saying came out as black power formations trying to create these independent institutions that ultimately go under in part because of external repression. Not that we didn't have our own internal problems. And here we are in 2023 where you can have black people who are social structure were curated as black for its interests that don't represent black interests like Tim Scott, maybe an example of that, launching his campaign for president at Fort Sumter, Fort Sumter, South Carolina walking under an american flag and i'm looking at him and i'm saying to myself suppressing the urge to connect him to a very specific uh, cartoon character from bill cosby and the cosby kids and i will refrain from doing that this morning but while watching him uh, talk about about his uh, 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 career and upbringing i pull from the shelf another moment at fort sumter Another uh, moment at at, at Fort Sumter that took place in 1863. We're going to conclude with this. There's a couple of things that happened this week I wanted to mention. And that, of course, was... Let me see if I got the date right. Y'all better stop playing. You better stop playing with me. It couldn't be. Well, I'll be damned. This is from larry crow i know larry and all the bc in here life and public services of martin robeson delaney you know, we did delaney right watch this y'all the eventful 14th of april he stopped playing which was so eagerly awaited came and the and the earliest beams of the morning found the city of the sea alive with preparations for the brilliant scene at sumter unconscious of its fearful tragic close at washington remember this is the first place this is where the civil war launched And they took that American flag down and then they had, the the Confederates had it. Now, uh, Tim Scott walking under the, uh, uh, the American flag talking about how, you know, this represents the best of a, fool, do you know when that flag was put back? Now that's your flag, you won't find me wearing it. But when, you know, when that flag went back up, this is what Martin Delaney talking about. Major Delaney, highest black commissioned officer, also Major Augusta, who worked at Freedman's Hospital, was a surgeon. Major Martin Delaney sails to Fort Sumter for the raising of the American flag after they took it back for the Confederates. That's how that flag got up on their pole. Tim, mission accomplished, Scott. Major Delaney embarked to witness the ceremony on the historical steamer planter with its gallant commander, Robert Small whose deeds will live in song and story, whose unparalleled feat and heroic courage in the harbor of Charleston under the bristling guns of rebel batteries, bearing comparison with the proudest record of our war, will remain commemorative of Negro strategy and valor, except in the mind of Tim Scott. See the scene, y'all. Fort Sumter, beginning of the Civil War. The Union Army has taken it back. South Carolina, majority Black. Delaney. Sailing on the boat, Robert Smalls and his people took from the Confederates, the planter. He the captain of the planter. Now, sailing to the island, 1863. Oh, the war is not over, years to go, but they took South Carolina back. Come on, Tim, do you remember? Do you remember? You clearly don't remember. And guess who else was on the boat? Oh, you're not gonna believe it. He says, watch this. On the quarter-deck of the steamer, the Major remained an interested witness. Beside him, beside Martin Delaney, stood one whose father, believing and loving the doctrine that all men were born free and equal and within sight of the emblem of freedom as it floated from the battlements of Sumter to my flag, dared to aim a blow by which to free his race, betrayed before his plans were matured the scaffold gave to Denmark Vesey and his 22 slave hero compatriots in Charleston, South Carolina in 1822, the like answer which Charleston, Charlestown, Virginia gave John Brown in 1859. Picture that, Martin Delaney sailing to Fort Sumter on the ship captained by Robert Small standing next to the son of Denmark Vesey. Tim Scott, you bring shame to your ancestors. But guess what? We're here. And we know you don't represent nobody. We know you auditioned for vice president, you and Nikki Haley and every damn body else, because the hillbilly who are gonna elect Donald Trump if he gotta be under the jail. <laughs> so you go ahead and skin 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 and grin. So as we kind of conclude on representation, you can have black representatives that don't represent us. Our work is to reconstruct, to energize, to extend, to connect with institutional formations that are black and connected to non-black formations, which are deeper down in that class structure. So that when you see a representative of us, they are truly representing us, not just themselves and what of their individual interests are. This is for example, today's uh, New York Times because it is Jackie Robinson day, isn't it? Because uh, so I think it's Jackie Robinson day today, right? And yeah, everybody in basically baseball wears number forty two today, I think. Wow. Yeah, it's a beautiful day, you know, and and of course, if y'all want to know, we've done extensive work on Jack Roosevelt Robinson, so we're not going to do that right now, but I thought I would mention in today's New York Times, this beautiful uh, article on one of the many Jackie Robinson scholars. Shout out to the century plus old now, Rachel Robinson, the Jackie Robinson Foundation, which is 50 years old today, which is a scholarship program providing an average of $32,000 over four years to 242 students consistently. I've had a number of Robinson scholars. If you're a Robinson scholar now in Nubia, or if you're watching this later on YouTube, drop it, please, in the comments. Because there are a lot of Robinson scholars who have graduated. Here's a very prominent one right now. Yes, Lauren Underwood was a Jackie Robinson scholar. (laughs) You understand? It's a beautiful thing, Professor Hunter. Jackie Robinson said, a life is unimportant except the effect it has on other lives when Robinson died far too young in his early fifties of that diabetes, cause as his wife as would say sometimes because he carried the whole race on his back. She said, no, we will continue this work. So Rachel Robinson has been the face and the animating force Sharon Robinson and their daughter. So many others, the Robinsons, David Robinson. Oh, and beyond that, the whole Jackie Robinson foundation has been in fact, let me just uh, shout her out here very quickly, Della Britton, the president and chief executive of the foundation. Shout out to Della Britton as well. For low these 50 years, all these college graduates, it makes me smile every time I'm in class and it's usually around now. The students will say, Dr. Carr, I'm not gonna be here next week. Why? Well, I'm a Jackie Robinson say no more. I know y'all got to go because every year the Robinson scholars have to come to New York for the meeting because they got to report out. They got to do public service. They got to talk about it. It ain't just scholarship money. It ain't just individual Negroes. Oh, I'm going to (laughs) achieve. No, you got a mission. As the old folks used to say, a charge to keep. I have a God to glorify. (laughs) So anyway, so this is what it means to be a representative. Clarence Thomas, are you a representative? No, you're a wholly owned subsidiary of billionaires. And you're in trouble now. You look scared now. Why? Because it's coming out how much they own you. You don't represent us, sir. Even though you said for years when you sat on the bench that you didn't talk because uh, I'm from Georgia and uh, I, I speak a, 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 a variation of Gala. It's a language called Gala. I just, you know, didn't want to. I grew up uh, being made ashamed. That's a lie. Ain't nobody in the United States more proud of the way they talk than them Gullah Geechee Negroes. So if you're going to sit up here, that's because you spent your life trying to run from them. You're not our representative. We're talking about black speech acts today, Professor Hunt. <laughs> Clarence Thomas has the tongue of Africa in his mouth even as it is trained by Holy Cross and Yale to speak with a certain clarity. And when he has said that I like with my wife to camp in Walmart parking lots because I come from common stock. Now we know why you are lie, because you don't represent us. And Uh Sterling Brown would clown the hell out of you (laughs) if he was around. He's because Sterling Brown said, I know that Negro. That's the Negro who sound like us, but act like them. He's not a representative. So a couple other things, and I'll I'll leave the rest of this for Next week, I, I, I took note of the fact that I guess Jay Z trying to build a casino in Manhattan. Oh man, Broadway people are mad as hell. Um, Montana banned TikTok as if TikTok could be banned by a state. These hillbillies have lost their damn mind. But I want to, I, I, I want to um, end with this. How should I, how, how should I put this? Yes, tomorrow. Actually, today. So if you're in the DMV and you want to go down, if you're not coming by to see uh, Holly and them screen after winter, after winter is the documentary. The only documentary in existence with Sterling Brown talking about his life in a, in, in a visual form. As these two filmmakers, Shriek and Holly Garima went over to his house, talking to him on the porch and say, can we bring a camera by here and made a whole documentary called after winter. You can't see it anywhere. Holly and them not giving it up for, you know, for, for, to be you know moved other places. Maybe we can get them to do a screening over here in Nubia though, Prof. I may be able to talk him into we see see if he's in the mood one day, if they're in the mood one day. But we're gonna do a talk back. They'll probably live stream the talk back. My homie from Memphis, my 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 young girl Michaela uh, Skirlock Skerlock, who's from Memphis, Howard University graduate. Um, also I was asking her about Justin Pearson, and I said, You know, just he said, Yeah, you know, I know them okay, okay. See, that's how you know people. You don't know people by asking MSNBC and CNN. You know people who, by asking their people who they are. So I asked the Memphian about another Memphian. But at any rate, they're probably going to live stream after we show the, the, the documentary. After they show the documentary, he and I are going to talk about it and with the community too. So you might want to go to Sankova's website. and You can see that. But also this today in the District of Columbia is the annual Compensated Emancipation Day Parade and concert free concert downtown dc pennsylvania avenue the headliner is from our generation prob that would be none other than the god mc himself rock Kim. Um, oh. i'm like come on man i want to go see Rakim. but hey i love sterling brown sterling brown would be all like an intellectual godson, a grandson of sterling brown because sterling brown's thing is black speech is not all the same so when you hear the best of hip-hop sterling brown would say yeah Yeah, this is what it looks like. Wait, did it come from the people? Yeah. Did somebody else shape it? Nah. Then listen to it. Don't be mad. Listen to it. Now, once you listen to it, you have an obligation to critique it, to analyze it. You, okay, I don't like that. I like that. Okay, all right. Well, then let's have that governance come. Then here come the other people. Well, I think it's very interesting because, I mean, in some ways, Kendrick Lamar is like a, a black Shakespeare. Okay, you, sir, you should go over there. Because we're not interested in anything you have to say right now. If we want to come over and talk to you, we will. And in fact, since we didn't send for you, (laughs) don't come over here. And if you tiptoe around the ear hustle you make sure it's ear hustling. You don't have an opinion right now because even with the best intent, you're going to interrupt something and then three of these Negroes over here having this debate going to take your side. And the next thing you know, there is no we. And meanwhile, your thing is still going and we over here arguing with each other. Mm -mm. So with all due respect, and we mean this very sincerely, with all due respect, which is a very important phrase if you stop to think about it, pause. Anyway, (laughs) Compensated Emancipation Act Notes today. Here this is a very interesting little book called Abraham Lincoln and the End of Slavery in the District of Columbia. It was actually produced by the um the Capitol Hill branch of the DC Public Library. So I don't know if y'all can get your hands on it. Um but you know, I don't mind scanning it. I mean, I think they wanted it to be distributed. This is a book that collects a lot of the documents around the time this is what happened in the District of Columbia for those of you who didn't know. In, um, in 1862, let me do April 1862, April the 16th to be exact, which is why it's celebrated on the Saturday before in terms of parade, but it is a holiday here and has been a holiday in the District of Columbia since it was declared a holiday in 2005 by the mayor of the District of Columbia at the time. In 1862, the Africans of the District of Columbia were freed by the federal government, Congress and the uh, President of the United States, Abraham Lincoln. It's the only Africans he freed. This is where we gonna end. <laughs> Let me see, can I find it? So y'all, cause some people may not know about this. And even though we talk about it every year, we should do it one more time. Here it is right here, page 69. Let me go to it very quickly. Here we are. Here's the act. These Negroes, they gave, I think, just under $2 million to free the almost 3,000 Africans of the District of Columbia. And they paid up to $300 a piece to the Europeans who had them enslaved. Imagine that. Then they set aside money, and they told every Black person who had been enslaved in DC, hey, come here. What?" Listen, we got a proposition for you. What? Here's the proposition. You can stay here, walk around, do whatever you want to do within limits. Or we'll give you some money to leave. Go where? Lincoln is like, Haiti, Nicaragua. Leave the country. Compensated. Now I'm going to end with this. Here it is. This was the addendum to that. This never got passed. March 14th, 1862, letter to J.A. McDougal, Executive Mansion, Washington, that will be known as the White House. This is from Abe Lincoln. My dear sir, as to the expensiveness of the plans of gradual emancipation with compensation proposed in the late message, please allow me one or two brief suggestions. Less than one half of one day's cost of the war would pay for all the slaves in Delaware at $400 per head. Thus, all the slaves in Delaware by the census of 1860 or 1,798 at $400 a piece cost of the slaves, $719,200 one day's cost of the war, $2 million. Again, what is he proposing y'all? Let me keep going. Again, less than 87 days cost of this war would at the same price pay for all in Delaware, Maryland, District of Columbia, Kentucky, and Missouri. Thus, the slaves in Delaware, Maryland, District of Columbia, Kentucky, and Missouri, 432,622 enslaved people at $400 apiece will cost $173,048,800. 87 days cost of the war is $174 million. Abraham Lincoln says, do you doubt? that taking the initiatory steps on the part of those states in this district would shorten the war more than 87 days and thus be actual saving of expenses? Then he says a word as to the time and manner of incurring the expense. Suppose for instance, a state devises and adopts a system by which the institution absolutely ceases therein by a named day, say January 1st, 1882. What did I just say? He wrote this in 1862. He says, let's say slavery, the states where they got people enslaved says, we'll give up slavery. 1862, no 1882, let's say January 1882. Then let the sum to be paid by such a state by the United States be ascertained by taking from the census of 1860, the number of slaves within the state and multiplying that number by 400 the United States to pay such sums to the state in 20 equal annual installments and 6% bonds of the United States in sum thus given as to time and manner I think would not be half as onerous as one as would be an equal sum raised now for the indefinite prosecution of the war but of this you can judge as well as I. I enclose a census table for your convenience. Yours very truly Abraham Lincoln. What is he proposing y'all? Y'all friend. <laughs> The one Mary Anderson stood on the steps of the statue and sang on Easter Sunday, and the Negroes weep to this day without knowing no history. What is he proposing? He's saying, look, first of all, I ain't freeing no N-words in any state that's still in the Union, Delaware, Maryland. And if we free them, let's pay the white boys that got them enslaved. It would be less that a half days cost of the war for Delaware and for all the states where I didn't free. Abraham Lincoln ain't free nobody. The only Africans he signed a document that freed anybody was in D.C. and he paid the white boys and he proposed doing it, not only for the border states, but this is where the roots of the Emancipation Proclamation he did sign come from because the Emancipation says, if by January 1863 you are not back in the Union, the people who are enslaved in your state are free. Now he got to enforce that with a gun, which means Robert Smalls and them boys, Martin Delaney any he's the dogs' of sons got to go down there and stick that damn piece of paper on the end of a bayonet and make it stand up. He freed no one to evoke my man, Lerone Bennett. He was forced into glory, but this is what he proposed. And if anybody tried to tell you different, tell them to run back this video. I just read it word for word. He said, we'll go to them states and say, if y'all will stop fighting us, we'll pay you for every man, woman, and child you got enslaved. We'll spread out over 20 years back it by bonds of the United States, maybe by January 1st, 1882, they'll be free and you'll be rich. That's your friend. Hmm. I to say that Emancipation Day is today. Of course, Congress didn't act on it. They did the Emancipation Proclamation. Black folk, to the tune of 189,000 Africans, formerly, meaning all men, 10,000 in the Navy, and women like Araminta, the great Harriet Ross, married name Tubman, Harriet Ross Tubman, Minty, as she called herself, leading and directing troops in battle, freed ourselves. Y'all let that man rest wherever they got him buried, Springfield, Illinois, whatever. Y'all better stop. <laughs> anyway, enjoy the concert. Y'all see Rakim, tell me how it was.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, here he is. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're gonna, uh, listen to the voice of sterling brown to end i just wanted to first of all thank you um this is who uh um (laughs) i think some of this conversation is going to stay in nubia because it was very intimate and personal um oh oh, okay some of it will um but i also someone in the chat wanted to break down your 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 orisha shirt Um, uh i know i I know yamaya uh,
1: and I know legwa. Okay, can you break that down for the okay, uninformed? Oh, 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 Ogun, Some of some of the spellings are going to be in Spanish. Okay, so Let's start with Obatala. That's God. That's the the Obatala, uh, yeah, the, the kind Obatala. of broad concept. Because there's no, you know, it's only one God. These are just just conversations on the the kind of manifestations of God. The the the, the people in Kemet would call them the netures, right? So about that, Yemaya, we know, right? Like Yemaya right, right. and, and, and Oshun, which you see the C spelling there is probably for the Spanish speaking community, maybe even Portuguese, the Latin based languages. So if you're in Cuba, Puerto Rico, if you're doing uh Santeria or Macumba, or in um in Brazil, Caromble, you know, certain them tell you then. So
0: you know. is out of the water. Yeah, it's, it's water okay. is the the what I know from uh, it. Uh, Alegua yeah. is like the vodun. Uh, the, they, they, they call him the, you know, the, vo- the voodoo god or whatever, the
1: yes. underworld. Papa Legba He's at Papa the crossroads. That's okay. right. In fact, this is the one who we would say when we talked about, remember, Prof, we talked about Bugs Bunny? Yes, Bugs Bunny. Okay. Then, you know, Legba is the one where he going to make you choose. You can't stay at the crossroads with him. A trickster. he irritate you. The trickster, no question. He gonna, okay. he, and so, yes, yes. And, and of a, course, assuring well, Oshun, of course, is with Yemaya. These are the two sisters. Women, right. Yeah, women, and of course, who are at the center of it because they, they control the water, the rivers, the lakes, you know, the ocean, meaning, you know, that's what our bodies are made of. I mean, come on, people talk about, hey, man, I ain't mad at the Christians and the Muslims and the Jews, but let's be clear, Africans knew who God was. <laughs> you know, anyway, so, and of course, let me see, Ogun. Right. You know, I, I used to tell students all the time, whether it be Ramses the second or 50 Cent. The whole notion of that that fire, that iron, the one that will put them hands on you, Ogun. This Ogun is the blade of the Haitian Revolution. In other words, let's get this cutlass. We're going to get free. This is anytime we get ready to get somebody, when Karen Hunter busts up in there and say, boom, boom, that's the Ogun spirit. (laughs) The warrior spirit. Uh, Orula is one way of saying Orumala. So the whole question of intellectual work divining. My man, uh, Baba Sekou in, in Philly, we used to compare, uh, he would compare Arumala to um, Jehudi. Or, in fact, Jehudi, who, um, today's New York Times has an obituary uh, for the great Kamal Brakewaite. This is the uh, special edition of Aperture Magazine.
0: Please hold that book up, because that is beautiful.
1: Oh, yeah, that's his wife on the cover. No question. Black is beautiful. It's a special issue of this. He just made transition. In Uh, fact, his obituary, I'll show it to y'all in, let me see, about maybe... 10 seconds. I just showed you because uh, I knew his brother um, better than him. And that, of course, was the great Alambe Brah, Sons of the Caribbean. Their parents migrated. There is uh, Kamal Breakway, photographer who made black beautiful, so to speak. Dies. There he is with his camera. Very important. He made transition on the first of this month, first of April. They founded something called the African Jazz Art Societies and Studios. I'm mentioning it because it's so funny how the ancestors work because there's a photograph in here if I can find it quickly because they used to have, in fact, here they all are lobbying them. That's the association there. This whole thing is just, these are Africans in New York. So those of you who know Old Eternity Village, you know, uh, let me see. <laughs> Look, here go these Negroes at the beach.
2: <laughs> they
1: doing their thing. So you know, uh, let me see if I can find this. Oh, yeah. Those of you coming to America, remember the, the black pageant, Miss Black uh, Queen's pageant or whatever. They used to have Miss Natural Standard of Beauty pageant in Harlem. This is the standard of beauty pageant in Harlem. In other words, you wow. know, even when you watch it coming to America, there's a movement in memory to it. If I could find this quickly, though, because I wanted. to. Oh, here we go. Actually, this isn't it, but I want to show this picture anyway. Here's a young boy looking at the James Brown poster. <laughs> James Brown was a fear on the Nine Thirty Show. He photographed everybody. He went to Zaire and photographed uh, uh. The, uh, the, uh, the 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 the. Here we go. Here is the couple, power couple, Abby Lincoln and Max Roach. Amanita Mosika and Max Roach. Here she is, kissing. Uh, it's titled an Ibis, but that is Jehudi Jahudi. The scholar, the intellect, the writer, the person who inscribes a Yoruba glass on that might be Orula. But you know, and of course, Chango. Chango is another war spirit, spirit, thunder. The, the brother who, you know, forget Thor is Chango. And of course, the relationship between Chango and um, Oshun, think of Jay Z and Beyonce. In this sense, there is uh, uh, in the Odu Ifa. there's a story where, of course, Shango is sleeping with all the women. He, you know, he would have been the one that freaked Nick or whatever. All the women want Shango. All the women want Shango. But Shango wants Oshun. So Oshun finally relents. And after she finishes making love with him, she drowns him. And then brings him back. Let me show you. What this is about so if you want to why they spend so much time in Cuba, I don't know what I don't know, no, and we'll never know the conversations Jay Z I mean, and Beyonce have. But just know that Oshun that's that's the yellow, that's where my girl, uh, Shanice Thompson, my former student, who got her PhD. She wrote a dissertation called Lemonade and Other Yellow Things. She uh, traced Oshun uh, uh, to Lemonade. <laughs> so you know, when you see yeah. Beyonce, a lot of that stuff's very intentional. Y'all pay attention, right. anyway. I
0: was like, I was saying that sounds more like Will and Jada, but I digress. Will and Jada
1: too. Well, actually. That's who, of course, if you listen to Harold Melville in the Blue Notes. That's who Harold Melville is begging for eight minutes on "I Miss You."
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> anyway. uh, all right, and this is we're in the entertainment. Um, the prayers for for full recovery. Jamie Foxx apparently had a stroke. Um, and, oh, and so that's what uh, it was? Yeah, oh, or yeah, what what ends up being a stroke? I guess a bl- blood clot or a burst blood clot. Um
1: so we, we the yeah. word is the word yeah how is he No
0: I mean it's you know his his daughter put out the statement a couple of days ago uh, and there's been a flood of you know of course uh well wishes and prayers you know but so we we're in community with with us and life is precious and fragile and which is why the the time we spend with one another the time we spend in critique of one another right. uh, shouldn't uh over you know overshadow the fact that we're in community and our responsibility is to uplift um Forever. first first Forever. So, Forever. So yeah, you know even if we jokingly want to talk about you know the different art that's out there and why we don't like it ultimately life should super- supersede all of that so no, we question. That.
1: no question no question In all the best energies
0: and finally um everyone that's in nubia uh you can go to the bookshelf of narrative uh just asked Ahmad and he'll do that at some point. Drop the um sterling in oh, uh, Brown book, My My Own Life Story. Nice. So that'll be uh on our bookshelf and um trying to get as many books in there as possible. So that's the relation between narrative and Nubia. Narrative is the repository. Uh you only get to Nubia through narrative. So you already have a narrative subscription. Just go in the bookshelf and see all of the books that are are there, Rodney. Um Framings of, of my brother's framings. What is it? Framings, groundings.
1: With our groundings with my yeah.
0: Brother. Yeah,
1: yeah,
2: right.
0: Yeah, right. you know. So we have you know a lot of books um, <laughs> that are are there that yes. uh, Dr. Carr has talked about. So you know, spend some time with that. Be safe in them streets, Dr. Hey, Carr. Boy, I'm good. Yes, uh, and in uh, the Tennessee folk, um, it, the, the reckoning is coming. That that guy last name Sexton. Yeah. Uh, lot of stuff coming out about him, whether his residency is, you know, valid. Oh, you, you know, already know. Yeah, the same man that uh, refused to unseat an actual child predator. Come on now. To throw out three people battling for the life of children and okay. he might have a mistress. So they're trolling the hell out of him right now.
1: Yeah, well, some, some nasty potential stuff. on. So, But we say less. Like you say, what's done in the dark comes to light. Always, always. Love you. Let's, <laughs> love let's, you. Uh,
0: let's finish uh, with sitting with this ancestor. And thank you for sending me this because uh, I never heard of his voice before. So yeah. yeah. He, did,
1: he did an album with Unlangs and Hughes, too, but this is his most famous album, Smith Support Ways. Slim wow. in Hell. <laughs> love you, Dr. Love
2: Bob. you, love. Slim in Hell. Slim Greer went to heaven. St. Peter said, Slim, you've been a right good boy. And he winked at him. You been a traveling rascal in your day you can roam once more then you comes to stay put these wings on your shoulders and save your feet slim grin and he speak up thank you pete then peter say go to hell and see all that is doing and report to me be sure to remember how everything go slim say i be seeing you on the lake watch Bo." Slim got to cavortin', swell as you choose, like Lindy in the spirit of St. Louis Blues. He flew and he flew till at last he hit a hanger with the sign reading, this is it. Then he parked his wings and strolled around, getting used to his feet on the solid ground. Big bloodhound come a-roarin' like Niagara Falls, sicked on by white devils in overhauls. Now Slim weren't scared, cross my heart, it's a fact. And the dog went on a bay in some po devil's track. Then Slim saw a mansion and walked right in. The devil looked up with a sickly grin. "Certainly didn't look for you, Mister Greer. How it happened you comes to visit here?" Slim say, "Oh, just thought I'd drop by a spell. Feel at home, sir. And here's the keys to hell." Then he took Slim around and showed him people raising hell as high as the first church steeple. Lots of folks fighting at the roulette wheel, like old Rampart Street or Leasewise Beal, showed him bawdy houses and cabarets Slim thought of New Orleans and Memphis days. Each devil was busy with a devilish broad, and Slim cried, Lordy, Lord, Lord, Lord. Took him in a room where Slim seed a preacher with a brown skin on each knee. Showed him giant stills going everywhere, with a passel of the devil stretched dead drunk there. Then he took him to the furnace that some devils was firing hot as hell and slim started a mean press firing. white devils with pitchforks through black devils on slim thought he'd better be getting along and he say this makes me think of home vicksburg little rock jackson waco and rome then the devil gave slim the big ha ha and turned into a cracker with a sheriff's star slim ran for his wings lit out from the ground hauled it back to St. Peter, safety bound. St. Peter said, well, you got back quick. How's the devil? And what's his latest trick? And Slim say, Peter, I really can't tell. The place was Dixie that I took for hell. Then Peter say, you must be crazy, I vow. Where in hell do you think hell was anyhow? Get on back to the earth, cause I got to fear. You's a little too dumb for to stay up here.